Welcome. Thanks for joining. I have a couple of important updates for regular listeners, so I encourage you to stick around for a minute or two as this message has changed. As usual, if you're new to Imposters Anonymous and haven't listened to the very brief intro to the podcast, I encourage you to pause and do so now. It's technically the first episode and provides some helpful context about the nature and aims of this project. For newcomers, I think this primer is pretty invaluable, especially considering how this podcast differs from most. Moving on to the new, there's been some developments in how I intend for this project to exist in the world. As some of you already know, I've elected not to extend this project to any social media platforms as I continue to present uniquely severe and confounding barriers to communicating effectively and objectively. The jury is more than out on the dangers of the double-edged sword that is social media, and though I could spend hours on this topic, and maybe will at some point, I'll save everyone the headache and simply say I've concluded that it's best for me to keep my distance altogether, even if only in an attempt to prioritize my mental health. That being said, social media remains the most effective way to promote a podcast, or virtually anything for that matter. Considering that I would like this podcast to grow and reach as broad an audience as possible, the decision to abstain may prove to be foolish. But even so, it's the path I've decided to take. That being said, I believe I've found a suitable alternative which will allow for this project to grow and expand its collaborative potential without resorting to an ad-based model. I've started an Imposters Anonymous substack, which will in time feature commentary on each episode, my supplemental writing and thoughts, and maybe most notably a blend of anonymously submitted art, opinions, and various offerings from fellow members of the Imposters Anonymous community. This can be found at impostersanonymous.substack.com, and there's a link in the show notes as well. Subscribing will sign you up for an ongoing newsletter and give you access to the primary content, which is, to be clear, totally free if you're unsure about whether or not you'd like to fully support this project or don't feel like it's financially feasible for you. I'd like to keep all of my content optionally free for as long as I can, but if you do derive meaningful value from Imposters Anonymous and have the means to support it, I ask that you earnestly consider doing so for the cost of a decent cup of coffee a month. The ultimate aim of this project is to create a space where individuals feel compelled to overcome their insecurities and inhibitions entangled with their identity so that they can more truthfully share themselves with the world. And I hope that resonates with enough people that I can garner the necessary support to continue to be able to make this happen, in lieu of growing costs and time requirements. Of course, I'd love to be able to spend the better part of my days engrossed in this project, and continue to deliver higher quality, more thought-provoking content to my audience. And in time, I'd even like to be able to pay out the brave imposters who submit their work. But as I've said before, this project will only go as far as the audience takes it. And that's quite exciting, while also a bit terrifying. As a final note on this front, I know that due to the ubiquitous influence and spread of social media, YouTube, and Google, we've all grown accustomed to receiving the majority of our daily content for free. Though recent developments like The Social Dilemma are starting to raise the societal awareness of the hidden cost built into a business model where the perceived customers are in fact the product, we're still left with a media landscape that isn't conducive to electively supporting the strain of content that reflects the sort of world we'd like to live in. That being said, most of us are totally on board with opting into Spotify or Netflix for the ad-free value they bring to our lives, regardless of how we feel about the aims of these organizations or the opportunity to actually be a stakeholder in the content they produce. And to be honest, I think it's quite the bargain considering what these companies offer. I simply ask that if the nature of this project compels you, and you derive meaningful value from these conversations, you consider subscribing and contributing to the project, regardless of whether or not you choose to support financially. I believe we all have hidden projects, recordings, notebook doodles, opinions, poems, and all things of the sort 
and for every reason from a bit of shyness to utter self-hatred, we've talked ourselves out of sharing them with the world. In short, I'd be honored to help you take that leap. No strings attached. Your perspective is valuable. I truly believe that. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks for giving this a shot. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Jackie, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm cruising, you know what I cruising, mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that word. Don't hear it too often, but yeah. I think it's it's an underutilized one. I think it's a Florida thing. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, maybe I need to hop down to Florida sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend, yeah. Is that like the wicked of, of the north, you know? It, yeah, it could be, yeah. I don't You're know like, yeah, many... I'm just cruising. Like, I'm straight, chilling. Yeah, it's good. Cruising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that they're direct comparisons in meaning by any stretch, but just right. that it's the a frequency that, of use. Right, it's it's mm-hmm. incredible. But yeah. I like it. You know, it's it's not something that I say, but when I hear it, I feel like a lot of those things that are, you know, kind of colloquial, I'm like, ah, that sounds rough. <laughs> but when people say wicked, I'm like, okay. I, yeah. I, I can fuck with that. My boyfriend says that a lot, and it's kind of rubbed off on me a little mm. bit. And people are like, oh, are you from you know, the Northeast and no, absolutely not. But you know, it sticks to you. It's a good word, right? You yeah. like it. It's a good one. You got to use it. Yeah. I have a bunch of family, uh, in the Boston area. So <laughs> I, I get a lot of wicked from them, yeah. but also my sister went to school up North and has been there for many years now. And so, so it now just she's, happens. yeah, it's, it's rubbing off on her. Yeah. She comes back down here and wicked she, smart. yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the number one. Um, but yeah, how, how you feeling? I feel really good today. Yeah, it was a good day. I uh, already. Oh. Yeah, already. Yeah, it's it's early, but you know, woke up slow and steady, so it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like days like that when you can't sleep the night before, but then you have time to actually mm-hmm. recover from right. that rather than yeah. have, to have to like go do something right away. So That's it was deal. good. Yeah, I feel really good. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely one of those people that kind of thrives off of a, a solid start. Mm-hmm. where that can really be the make or break for me, right? If I don't really stick to my routine or kind of just get myself going early, it's it's really hard to get back Yeah, to get the train moving again. I think I avoid routine because I know that it would help me get out of bed in the morning. Mm. And you don't, want, you don't want life to be easy for yourself. <sighs> I guess not. Why would you but, want that? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... Oh, bed is just so good. Like that is good. It takes it takes me a really long time to get out of bed, and I, I'm not mad at that. And you know, yeah. I mean, it's everyone's different, and I feel like that's something that well, not just overall, but in that specific regard, as far as like our sleeping phenotypes, that some people just yeah. kind of wake up ready to go, and others it's just a process. And a lot of people, you know, you might have someone who if you just let them sleep freely they would wake up at seven or they might wake up at 10 Mm -hmm. and so some people are you know just to wake up at 7 30 one person's like 
okay, that's like 30 minutes off of what I would do anyways. And the other person's like, oh, it's two and a half hours. (laughs) So it's not everyone really starts from that same place. And my wife and I are kind of opposite on that spectrum. So like I, I kind of, I I probably would wake up around seven, just regardless of time. I don't really, sleeping in isn't something that really ever happens for me, even if I try. So even if I go to bed at like two, I'll probably be up around seven, which is super annoying yeah. if I do have a late <laughs> I night. I love to sleep in. <laughs> it's, it's helpful on, you know, my day-to-day yeah. grind, if you will, because it's like, okay, it's it's not it's that not bad automatic. for me to just kind of get up at 6.30. It's fine. But sleeping in is almost <laughs> impossible. But I, I do find that it, it helps for me if I do try to stay in bed or if I allow myself to for any stretch of time, then I'm fucked. Yeah. So I try, I try to just like roll out of bed, like totally right. involuntary, like just throw myself kind of to the ground as soon as mm-hmm. my alarm goes off. So it's just like, you're just up. There's no option. But I, I don't know if it's the best strategy for everyone. I'm doing this 66 day habit challenge where when my alarm goes off, I decided that instead of pressing snooze, my alarm goes off and mm. I wake up. So whether that means like sitting up in bed or like sitting on the edge or doing whatever, I'm at least awake because I have a really bad habit of pressing snooze Mm. and going back to bed. And I'm not a very high maintenance person. So I'm like, I can get ready in 20 minutes. That's not Mm. a big deal. Like 15 minutes. I can do that. That's not big. And it like (laughs) keeps going down until I'm like, fuck, like (laughs) I have no time to do anything. So I have to like get up read my mission statement, get out of bed. I'm doing that every day, every morning. So, uh, what do you, what do you mean by mission statement? Is that something self-declared or, um, I am working with a coach right now and, uh, she's amazing and walked me through what a mission statement should be. And it's a series of individual statements that come together as a whole about, where I want my life to be, how I want it gotcha. to look, um, things that I'm proud of currently. Uh, and it's it's really nice to read every day. Mm. It puts you in a really good headspace and mental space first thing when you wake up. So I highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Writing I a little mission statement for your life. Give that a shot. I mean, I think in principle, it's something that, <laughs> that definitely resonates with me mm-hmm. because I, I guess in a professional sense, it's something that I've always been I've really, you know, been beating the drum about in different spaces that I've been in that it, it is so important to have, whether it be a mission statement or a vision statement or mm-hmm. even just absolute goals, just having something to, right. to focus on so that anytime you are faced with these kind of day-to-day, somewhat arbitrary, but very time-consuming decisions and this decision to fatigue we often deal with, you have something to direct back to and be like, no, this this simplifies everything. This is what we're focused on. Yeah. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Because without it, it, it can be so hard on a day-to-day basis when you're kind of fumbling around in the dark to some extent to try to get where you're going or just to move in a general direction where you're just like, ah, I just want to get better. You know, we just right. want progress. We just want to move forward. We just want to grow the business or whatever that broad idea is. Yeah. But unless you really can get something concise and 
precise. It's it's very hard to just kind of you can't to, contextualize it. You have right. to know what forward looks like. You have to know what progress is going to look like. You can't just say, okay, we're going to make progress. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what kind of progress? Like, what are you doing? Are you getting bigger? Are you expanding? Are you downsizing? It looks different to so many people. And I just don't think that your unconscious mind understands generalizations. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you are what you repeatedly do. So right. if you're continually reading this to yourself and being very specific, I think it almost tricks your brain into thinking, even if something isn't relatively true, it doesn't need to be super far-fetched. Like your brain's smart enough to know mm. that you're not going to be a millionaire in the next two weeks, you know, like right. things like that. It's going to take more work and more dedication. But if you can be realistic and specific and talk about the things in yourself that you're proud of, it's a great way to start your day and it puts your brain on the right track. Mm. Um which is big because I used to think stuff like that was really corny. Like when people made vision <laughs> oh, boards yeah. and things like that, I was like, eh, eh, not for me, not my thing. But now here I am with a mission statement and made myself a couple of vision boards. But it's something I look at every day, mm -hmm. first thing when I wake up and it makes me happy. So right. something's working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said <laughs> about what you do first thing yeah. in the morning mm -hmm. as as just a means of setting the tone yes. for your day. And to be totally honest, for me, I take a shit. <laughs> That's important. That is so important for me. It's my wife makes fun of me all the time because it's like I wake up and I'm just like out. Like I'm just like, can't, I got, can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Mm -mm. This is priority number one. It's very um, symbolic. Right. You know? it's, it's cleansing. You're just you know? like letting it's, go of yesterday. You're exactly. embracing the new day. Right. It's cleansing. It's I like I, it. It's I'm incredibly regular in that sense. For, <laughs> I'm sure everyone wants to know that. But it's super important for me. And I've had maybe a couple of days in like the past year or so where I haven't, and it's like devastating. Like the for whatever reason, I can't immediately. It's just like if something else gets in the way, I'm just like, well, I'm just carrying yesterday's shit now. I was yeah. What happens if you wake up at a different time? So for example, um, you want to wake up and watch the sunrise one mm. day. Does yeah. that shift? <laughs> or are you like, oh, no, now I can't take a shit until seven? Yeah, it's it's not necessarily a time thing for me. And granted, I'm a pretty steady okay. wake up time kind mm -hmm. of person. But it's it's just kind of first first activity of the day. Okay. <laughs> just, just, this is how no we start our day. No matter when that time is, I, you know... I'll, I'll have a book, you know, and I'll, mm. I'll read a few pages. I'll sit there probably longer than I should, which is another thing my wife sometimes makes fun of me for. Because it's just like, what are you doing in there? Okay. But it is kind of like my space, you know, where like I it's a routine and I sit there for a second. Um, I read a few pages. I finish up and I'm just I'm ready to go. And I do not understand people that read things in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, no, I don't get it at all. It does not resonate with me. I'm like, don't you have other things you could be doing, like other enjoyable places to like enjoy this book or this magazine or whatever it is? Right. I mean, that's a fair point. I yeah. think I try. But it's your space. I'm right. not judging you. No, no, well, no, no. I am a little bit. Yeah, I'm judging you, you are, because I'm like, but... that's stupid. Don't do that. Yeah. But no, you think it's a terrible <laughs> it idea, but it's fine. Then go for it. Uh, it's not going to change. I can <laughs> tell you that right now. No <laughs> like... way. But I 
I think it's kind of a little bit of my version of what is the phrase? It's there's a better way of phrasing <laughs> it, but kind of like habit pairing. Okay. Yeah. Um, where I know I'm always going to take a shit in the morning. Right. So if I read while that's happening, I'm always going to read first thing in the morning as well. Yeah. So like, by pairing those two things together, I've solidified this thing that I feel like is pretty valuable to my life with something that I know I'm always going to do. I love the idea of habit pairing. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it can be pretty powerful, especially with, I think an easy one is like exercise where if you're like, okay, I can only watch Netflix when I'm on the treadmill or something, you know, something yeah. simple like that where you can, you know, re reward yourself and, and build this kind of feedback loop where you actually, now you want to exercise. You're like, fuck, I can't watch TV unless. <laughs> I have to be walking. Yeah. Right. There's lots of other versions of that, but it, it certainly makes it easier if you can attach it to something that you're, you're already going to do and that you want to do and you just kind of piggyback something. You just make this little rule for yourself and it, it makes building habits like obviously you're, you're trying to do. Right. I find it to be a lot easier. I think I just have some like deep rooted resentment mm. for long amounts of time spent in the bathroom mm. because fun fact, um, my family, I was an only child, um, but my dad didn't want to poop in his bathroom in the morning. Oh. So he would come into the guest bathroom, which was, it was my, I was the only other person <laughs> in the house. It was my bathroom and right. he would poop in my bathroom mm. and take way too long and make it smell terrible. Yeah. And it was, that's tough. One of those things. And he would have magazines and Sudoku <laughs> in there. And I was like, okay, right. you don't need to be spending so much time in there that you're doing a Sudoku puzzle. That doesn't even make sense to mm. me. And so it was a point of contention in my household yeah. growing up, you know, especially as a teenager when I'm trying to get up and get ready for school and get out the door by seven 30 and mm. he's taking a shit in my bathroom yeah. and there's nothing I can do. And then, so now whenever I go visit my parents, I go in and I, I put wrong numbers in his token oh, wow. puzzles. Yeah. So devious. <laughs> you getting, him. I'm getting my revenge. Yeah. It yeah. seems totally fair. I, yeah. I get that 100%. And granted, this is a pretty brand new, not brand new, but I definitely didn't do this growing up because I, yeah. I grew up with siblings in a single bathroom. So like, yeah. If you spent too much time in the bathroom, like you were getting, you were getting yelled at. You were getting, you know, yeah, punched. You were just yeah. being an asshole. <laughs> and so I could totally, and I, I go into the guest bathroom because there's See? no one else. It's not affecting anyone else. I'm not disturbing. Right. So it's, it makes sense. But if there was another person living in yeah. a house, that would be it. I guess I don't really have a problem with you. And that's, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm you. realizing that it's my, you know, the traumas of my past. That's like gotcha. bringing up these feelings yeah. towards, towards no, we, reading we, we in love the bathroom. those moments for sure, <laughs> where you realize that these strange preferences that you have that you've never really thought about. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh. My parents did it. <laughs> yeah. It's my parents' fault. It's all that. It's it's Freudian. Yeah. Parents' parents' fault. <laughs> You can, yeah, you can play that game to the end of time. We've spent too long talking about morning poops, I think. Mm. I don't know if it's possible, but uh, yeah. Incorrect. Yeah. Moving on. Actually, not moving on because right. you said something interesting and okay. you're clearly trying to make some sort of positive change. Mm -hmm. Is it correlated with the new year? Is that is this like a new year's resolution of sorts? Um, I think it just 
happened that way. Mm-hmm. Um, my intention was to start probably mid-December. So I got through a solid seven days mm-hmm. of my 66-day challenge. But when I went out of town for Christmas, mm. things kind of went out the window. You know, oh, yeah. I didn't set an alarm. How do you wake up mm-hmm. for every alarm? And, you know, it wasn't possible, yeah. you know. <laughs> so if I did... But if I did set an alarm, I told myself, so I kind of gave myself a little bit of grace. And it was one of those things where I was just so happy and so stoked to be there relaxing. Mm -hmm. I read my mission statement the first couple of days. And then when I went from staying at my parents' house to the Airbnb we had, I put my mission statement in my backpack and then I just forgot about it. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. take it back out. You know, it wasn't like on my nightstand in the same way. So it wasn't like a negative thing. Like, oh man, I didn't do it. And I forgot. It was just kind of like, I was stoked and happy to be there and mm-hmm. things like that. So I just, it ended up. And with the 66 day habit challenge, you have to restart if you miss a day. Right. So you can get to like day 35. And if you miss a day, yeah. you're back to day, day one. 65. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's rough. And I didn't, I just kind of gave myself some grace and was like, yeah, yeah, I'll start when I get home. So I technically didn't even start on January 1st, mm-hmm. start on January 4th when I got home. So it was, I like the idea of the new year, mm-hmm. but this year didn't feel as mm. restorative and refreshing yeah. as previous years. Sure. So... I tried not to tie too many things to mm. like 2021. This is going to be it. Right. And I'm like 2021 will be whatever it wants to be. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to focus on me. Like <laughs> I'm exactly. just going to focus on myself. Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's been a weird one already. Yeah. And I don't know if a whole lot of explanation is needed Mm-mm. there. <laughs> I think everyone, I think people get it. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where they are on the spectrum of anything, it's, mm-hmm. it's, not been a normal year already thus far but speaking of the new year i'm curious if there's anything that you've changed your mind about recently Mm -hmm. or even just in the previous year especially because 2020 was such a such a different and challenging and just unprecedented year if there's anything notable that you that it just changed your mind on that that's a great question I don't know if changing my mind would be the right sentiment mm-hmm. of it, but I had a little bit of a truth crisis. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's dig into that. I became very confused mm-hmm. because I feel one way mm-hmm. and I'm, I feel like my way of thinking is the right way mm-hmm. It because it's centered around love and empathy and respect for humanity and wanting to lift up other humans mm-hmm. and things like that. But the opposing view mm-hmm. also thinks that their way is the right way because right. the other way is going to dangerously affect the human race and do all this. And it's not going to be so having these two very opposing views mm-hmm. where people are convinced that they're doing the right thing for morality and mm-hmm. connection. Like it, it became 
I had to do a lot of self-reflection and a lot of thinking and a lot of trying to bring logic and choice to my decisions. So, um, I, I don't like president Trump. Like I'll be open and honest about it. Like I don't, I I was going to say, I don't like that. Um, I've always associated myself as, uh, leaning left. And I do have some centrist views and things like Mm -hmm. that. Like I'm a gun owner. A lot of my family is uh, military and I understand the importance of that. And Mm -hmm. I respect that so much, but I also believe in social programs and, you Mm -hmm. know, healthcare and things like, so I'm a little all over the place. I never really had issues with Republicans and stuff like that. You Mm -hmm. know, it was always fun to get in a spirited debate around Christmas, you know, talking about George Bush and stuff like that. (laughs) And so that was always a good time. But, you know, Trump, I just I can't get behind it. And to see people who were so convinced that this was the right thing for the world and Mm -hmm. that it made so much sense to them, it kind of made me question. I was like, what is truth? Yeah. You know, other than human perspective Mm -hmm. and it made me think like is there a right way to think about this is there (laughs) is there a way to approach this where there is a right and wrong um i very much believe in standing for something Mm -hmm. i think it's important to stand up for what you believe in especially with what happened this year um i think picking a side became very important right and i i i maybe the empathetic side in me got a little too powerful and Mm. was like but why do they feel this way Mm. like why are they so convinced that racism doesn't exist Mm. in the united states and like one side of my brain is like because they don't experience it like because they (laughs) don't see it because they don't care because it doesn't affect them and so i think What changed in like my opinion is that or what the original question, like what what opinion or Mm -hmm. what shifted? It's like before I allow a lot of like outside noise to Mm -hmm. affect what I'm saying, I really try and put myself in the other person's shoes, even if it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem moral to me. I feel like. I need to explore that and understand where they're coming from. And if I can still go, no, fuck that. That's dumb. Then I know (laughs) that I like feel good about it, you know, but if there's some questioning to it, then I I have to sit with it a bit longer, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like it's a, it's an incredibly, at least in my opinion, important impulse to entertain. And it, it has, our capacity to do that has been challenged in almost every way mm-hmm. in the past 12 months, maybe even four years, I if you will, years, yeah. <laughs> um, that it's hard to feel so disconnected from half of people, right? Like yeah. that's very extreme. And sure, there's always been a certain amount of political polarization, but I think it's fair to say that it's it's reached kind of a pinnacle right mm-hmm. now. And as you spoke to previously, I think it was relatively easy in the past to be somewhat of a, a centrist or a moderate and to be able to have conversation across party lines. And it seems as though we've reached some sort of a tipping point where that just isn't happening anymore because 
people seem so far apart. And even just the simple fact that people are in most cases dealing with entirely different sets of facts that they in their heads, as you said, it's their truth. They believe to be true. It's what's being fed to them through their media ecosystems. Yeah. Even if they're going on and they're, they're typing into Google, they're not getting the same shit as you. And right. that's scary and uh, presents so many barriers. And, you know, they're, their social feeds and, you know, the videos you could, I mean, even if you just look at, you know, at any of the protests in the past year, you could find coverage of the same exact event and happening, just framed differently, totally different. different angles, different, you know, they're just focusing on certain things. And you could frame it to if someone was just watching it without any prior knowledge that you would see it and be like, well, this seems to be accurate. This seems to be a fair mm -hmm. representation of what's happening and if people are just getting opposite sides of that and they're not being exposed to anything on the other side you start to get this distance that you kind of spoke to where it's it's difficult as a a relatively empathetic person to be like to just kind of cut off those lines and be like no everyone who thinks this way i I'm there's so something wrong yeah right like that's a very hard thing and i think dangerous thing yeah to do but I mean, even, you know, the events of the past few weeks, it's like, okay, at what point do you have to say, no, if you think this, yeah. if you support this, I have to just be, I have to distance myself uh -huh. or I have to not entertain that. And I don't know where that line is. And I think my impulse is to say, we should try to allow as much room for that as possible or to not give up and say there. Let's not cut off the conversation lines. Let's not try to reach these people. Let's not try to figure out what has gone wrong to get to this point. Because I feel like, sure, the election went how it went. And I mean, hopefully that's not a controversial statement to anyone right. who's listening. But kind of arbitrary, right? That at the end of the day, sure, it ended up on one side, but if you're looking at the spread, it's basically 50-50. Yeah. And so if half of people are thinking a certain way or prioritizing a certain set of values, whenever there's something like that, and I typically say it in regards to a majority thought or even just something close to it. So I think 50-50 is fair. It's like, what am I missing? What, right. That is always, I try to make that the first question where if it's something that really outrages me or something that really surprises me I try to make that my first question is just what what am I potentially missing here what are the variables that I'm not understanding because these are people who have far more in common than me than they have things that are different yeah and they still generally want the same things they want to you know take care of their families and they want to have love in their life and they want to have some measure of success they don't want to be in pain they, right they're driven by the same thing so how yeah they're how humans it, yeah <laughs> yeah it's you know, we're, we're basically the same you know we we share most things with a a pig you know right <laughs> and so it's it's hard to feel that disconnected from people who are your your neighbors if you will purely on the the lines of politics and once again my impulse is to say Let's not let politics become this incredibly divisive thing that totally just blocks off a certain portion of the population from right. conversation. But it's just been challenging. And I don't I don't have a perfect answer to how 
how to remedy that going forward. But I, I definitely feel where you're coming from in that mm-hmm. that kind of crisis of how and granted, it's not something I've had to deal with too much in my personal life because I, I, I just I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel for the people who have, you know, close relationships that were impacted right. by these by these lines, you know, because I I didn't have that per se, but I, I can't imagine what that's like to try. And I can, you know, a friend of mine spoke to me about this once. It was kind of like, you know, within a household, essentially, you know, mother and father on opposite sides of this. Right. And that's, I don't know how you navigate that. I have, My cousin's like that. Like mm-hmm. she's liberal, you know, tried and true. And her husband is a lifelong Republican. And I, I don't think he's a fan of Trump, mm-hmm. but. I don't think he voted for Biden, right. you know, so and and she's like, we just don't really talk about it. And she says, but, you know, he still thinks the election was fishy, like there was something weird about it. Mm. And I'm, you know, and you can have your own opinions about that. That's fine. I just I, that would bring so much turmoil into my relationship mm-hmm. because. Josh actually voted for the first time this mm-hmm. year. And or not the first time, I shouldn't say that he voted back um, when Barack Obama was running, but mm. he disconnected from politics because it drove him crazy. Yeah, and he got a lot re, of people did. Yeah, reacquainted. And I encouraged him to do it. And I, he was like, well, what do you think? And for the first month, I was like, you just figure it out. I'm not going to put my opinions on to mm. you. So, you know, we were listening to a lot of different news sources. You know, mm. I had to bite my tongue during a lot of tucker carlson rants and i was get like my eye was twitching and i was just ready to explode and right. finally one day he was like this guy's an idiot yeah, i was like oh <laughs> thank like, god like oh, man. That's... <laughs> i was like oh like the relief that i felt mm. you know it was otherworldly but i i i can't imagine that division because i think that this year um in the last four years I think politics has been a moral choice for um, the right, for Republicans for a really Mm -hmm. long time. I think a lot of people maybe don't understand or want to dive into their economic policies or, you know, their Mm -hmm. political policies and things like that. But their religion tells them that the right has more of their interests at heart, Mm. you know, more of their family values and things like that. So I think it's been a moral decision for them in a different way than Mm -hmm. liberal politics. You know, it's, it's like, we just think that people should have more things, you know, and for some people, I'm sure it's different, but you know, that kind of moral decision of, you know, abortion is murder. Like, could you Mm. imagine like really feeling that and being terrified that this other political party wanted to make this type of murder legal for our country, you know? So me trying to wrap my head around that, you know, it's, I'm like, I get it. But these last four years, it's kind of forced everybody to make politics a moral decision. Mm -hmm. It's about good and evil for people right now. It's about right and wrong for people right now. Mm -hmm. And that's so much more heated. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, causing a lot of people to draw a line in the sand. And for those people that lifelong Republicans, you know, they don't really like Trump, but they voted for him anyway. That's kind of where my question is. It's where, 
where is your line? Exactly. Where it's, is it's, that? It's got to be here. Right? Yeah. It's, that's, um, that's kind of been the difficult part this right. year is that you you would maybe hope that more people would have reached that tipping point. And granted, ultimately, the election tipped as it did, but it was close. Yeah. It really was. It was. And regardless of you know, how you feel about that, it, it could have gone either way if a few things were different. Yeah. And, and what percentage of those people truly support Trump and mm, or are just kind of like apathetic about him, but still want a re Republican base of, mm -hmm. you know, policy. And it's like, right. where is your moral line? <laughs> like where? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's as someone who. I guess I can, you know, relate to what you shared, I. I've always considered myself, you know, relatively left of center, but mm -hmm. probably more moderate than one might expect just because I, I feel like I land uh, in a, in a different space on some issues than others might expect. Right. I'm, I'm certainly not someone who feels like I'm, you know, totally on board with the agenda ever, <laughs> you know, yes. that sort of thing. But I know that that's becoming generally less and less common, but it is. That is, once again, as I spoke to earlier, like, my first question is, what am I, like, what are we missing? What, yeah. what is, what is the left doing wrong that people still, like, despite all of this, are still like, no, it's better than letting these people run away with things. You know, like, what, what are the gaps? And I know that opens, like, a huge, a huge rabbit hole. Um, and I have spent a lot of time talking about this in personal circles over the past year, because it is, it has been such a, a difficult problem, especially as the election approached. And that was being just kind of this, how do we, how do we reach those people that yeah. we lost? You know, how do we get the people that voted for Obama, right? And then yeah. went and voted for Trump because it's so many more than I think people realize. Yeah. And what what went wrong like wh what was the disconnect what changed and what are these people thinking is going to happen and i'm not asking you this literally yeah, of per course. se but it's it's challenging and i think we once again are faced with this even bigger task in a way next election cycle even though that's kind of farther out and i, I don't even mean to say we like as the left per se but just people in general yeah that what what did we miss this time like how yeah <laughs> because it could have gone either way and it was kind of a huge failure that the election was this close and i think that gets kind of lost because it turned uh -huh. out all right for i guess for people with our general perspective yeah but i think we the people mm -hmm. tend to overcorrect. you know it's kind of we have george bush and he's cool guy laid back he's simple you could have a beer with him he's a cool dude but some of his policies and things like that i think really pushed us toward a democratic regime you mm -hmm. know so here comes president obama and he's like cool as hell you know right. cool as a cucumber <laughs> and he's still got that charismatic personality and things but you know his policies were very very different so mm -hmm. i feel like when people are sick of something that's when they 
turn up and turn out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, sure. it's an overcorrection. It's, it's like a highway analogy. You know, if you're not paying attention and you see out of the corner of your eye, a car swerve a little bit, you tend to overcompensate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, the, sure. I think it's the same thing, you know, like you've been watching this car mm-hmm. inching closer and closer to disaster. Mm-hmm. So you're like, you know, I think right. that there were a lot of, uh, better choices for our democratic president, but you sure. know, Something that I heard from a lot of people were, we need someone that can beat Trump. We need someone that Republicans will feel comfortable voting for. Mm. And I'm like, there's too much politics in your voting. Like, vote Mm. with your gut. Vote for who you think is going to better our country, not who you think possibly might win the election more and Mm. do all that. It's just, it's just shisty. I just think it should be done differently. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a fair perspective. And I... I think personally, I I really struggled with that yeah. last year. And it was something where I, and I think a helpful perspective to even have that, I guess in a way agrees, even though I feel like where I settled was maybe a little bit divergent, was that even just this idea of like third party candidates and how it feels like at this point, it feels like kind of, there's a perspective on the left that it's like this moral um you know, this moral failure to vote for a third party candidate because that's essentially a vote for the other side. And, but, and of course I get the logic there, right? It's it's a vote that's not going for the person that, you know, your side of things thinks should be there. But at the same time, it's, it's so complicated because Well, it's like the winner take all system. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If that was eliminated or changed in some way, then third parties could emerge and be more confident in those types of situations. And like Maine is the only state that does it now, but they do like a ranking system. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like winner take all. It's like, okay, like this person's here and this person's here and they change it up a little bit. And I'm not being very eloquent in the way I'm explaining it. But I, I honestly, I think that this election was the first step in the death of our two party system. I honestly, I do. I think it's, I think I it's dying so, out, but well, <laughs> Trump supporters are already coming out with the Patriot party. Have oh, you heard really? this? No, yeah. I've, they have a logo. I've checked out, but yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, haven't been paying attention. I had like one conversation with a friend yesterday and saw they have a, a logo and it's called the Patriot party, which mm. I think is really entertaining because the Hilarious. Patriot party was actually, um, a socialist oh, party really? in the sixties and then the eighties. Wow. Um, wonderful. Like hardcore socialism. Yeah. So I'm just like, y'all should do some research before you make these <laughs> just names. Just a simple Google yeah, search. You like just, you know, <laughs> even like if you search like the Patriot Party, um, Wikipedia will pull up the socialist group from the right. 60s through the 80s from those couple of just decades. Like yeah. Like just on GoDaddy yeah. and be like, is this domain available? <laughs> you know, just to, before you throw your idea Something, out into the world. You know, but yeah, um, so I mean, you gotta but, laugh at it. Yeah. And I guess where I was trying to go with that is just it's frustrating because I feel like with any significant, like a broad cultural or societal change, it has to happen slowly and progressively over time. So in order for it ever to be viable for there to be alternative candidates, it would have to start with in one election cycle enough people voting with their true feelings so that the next time around, there would be more of a real argument that you could vote this way. And 
it would be meaningful because when it's, you know, one, two percent of the vote or whatever, of course that feels like it's it's arbitrary, but you would if you really believe in that, you would have to start somewhere and over the course of maybe decades increase that percentage of the population until it got to a point where it wasn't just like throwing your vote away. Yeah. But it's clear that we're not we're not close to that yet, but maybe yeah. after this past election, where I think just broad dissatisfaction was as high as ever, where yeah. it, there, there was a lot of people who felt like they were just kind of holding their nose and, and voting with yeah. their general party lines. Um, granted, I don't know if the institutional change will happen that would be needed to even just like allow other candidates to be involved in the debate. So, you know, like, not that I support her per se, but like, I feel like most people don't even know who like Joe Jorgensen is, you know, like it's just like something you see on the ticket and you're just like, who's that? And I feel like a lot of Republicans who, um, didn't like Trump, but you know, like had to vote with the Republican party because of different things. Like they would have been, comfortable with the libertarian candidate, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the policies and things like that, less government things. But, you know, then that's when the struggle comes because libertarians are like, yeah, government should not be involved in personal choices. So their stance on things like abortion is like you just choose because it's your body. And like, mm-hmm. that's like, that's what you do, you right. know? And so I, I think that there's some, some struggle with that, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would have been happy to vote for Joe right. Jorgensen instead yeah, of Trump, I, you know, who I are Republicans. If there's some like obvious gap in my understanding, but it is strange to me why it always feels like it is on the left that there is this perspective that voting for a, a third party or an alternative candidate is essentially a vote for the right. When it seems, I mean, and this is just purely based on intuition that in this election cycle, that more people on the right would be compelled to vote for a libertarian candidate as right. opposed, like that that would actually, that that third party candidate being more viable would have done more for the left. Right. But I mean, I guess it's neither here nor there. It just yeah. seems. Well, the Republican party itself, you know, they keep using this stupid phrase, like, or the democratic party, my apologies. Um, like we have a big tent, like you're three different parties under one mm-hmm. label, like just, branch off already mm-hmm. just make the choice but you know they're trying to have this like solidarity solidarity in numbers but really you just have like you have centrists and then you have liberals and then you have um social democrats and they all want very different mm-hmm. things for our country and it's like just right. call it what it is and let people vote the way they want to you know and i just I don't think I have a good enough understanding of politics to understand why they won't do it. Yeah. Um, but not just to like pop that balloon, but I have heard this kind of line of reasoning before. And I feel like it makes sense on the surface. But the main problem is and I think has historically been a problem and why the right tends to do well is because they're far better at organizing and consolidating uh-huh. and, and being on the same page yeah. where, I mean, clearly after the past four years of Trump, the fact that there's still, you know, that it's, it's almost been surprising to see like some Republicans denounce what happened right. in the Capitol that they 
are just like so diehard for the party that they'll kind of go for anything because that works politically, you (laughs) know, and that the left recently, as you said, has kind of broken apart. Yeah. That that actually kind of gives the other side more strength because they're just going to be like, hey, just put, you know, put this candidate forward. And there's usually just kind of like a hierarchy. Obviously, Trump has just thrown a wrench in everything, but it's usually (laughs) like it's clear who you're your top guys are in the party and like maybe it was you know an xvp or and that's kind of i think the left kind of took a uh, a tool out of that uh box this time with biden where it was just like okay you know he was with obama you remember obama obama was yeah. great you love yeah. obama yeah. <laughs> uh, you know remember this guy yeah. it's it's we generally yeah. <laughs> i think the left was like all right we just we kind of need to take a play out of that playbook right. and do that but the the right has just historically been so much better that They're i think starting. the right is just going to stay together and then if mm-hmm. the left breaks apart it's like okay you got these three candidates against this one that's still got 49 percent of the vote and yeah. unless there was some sort of change in the way that the actual voting system worked um the electoral college is not going to work with like that many different right. party systems. And honestly, if any administration is going to do it, now is the time to do it. Like when we have House control, Senate control and administrative control. I mean, mm. this is the time and we need to take a really hard look at the electoral college and see how it's serving us. Um, because it's not going to happen when you have any kind of Republican sure. like blockage. You know, so if Mitch McConnell was still in charge of the Senate... There's no way anything was ever going to get through because it doesn't benefit the Republican Party to go by popular vote. Sure. Um, So if we can do if we can do that and if we can get rid, it will completely change how politicians operate and completely change how people navigate the system. And I think our political parties, one thing I don't want to see is rural areas get ignored. Exactly. Um, I think that that's important that politicians keep that in mind. I just think that there's, there's gotta be someone smarter than me that has an idea <laughs> to like fix that. You know what I mean? I would, like, I would know. That's my <laughs> general yeah. hope. Yeah. Right. There's gotta be. There's people with similar enough opinions who yeah. are more capable, who are, who are out who there. Are like, Hey, I've got a great idea. Like, look, you know, just like, <laughs> let's just, let's One just moment. do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, just to make a hard pivot, because I feel like we've, we've just really hit politics hard yeah, and I, I love it's, a pivot. it's important to talk about. It's just one of those things where I, I never want to talk about it too much mm-hmm. because I feel like everything is over politicized now and it's just been at the front of everyone's mind so much for the past year. Yeah. And so I try to kind of pull back and I try not to really pay attention to the news and, I try not to push it too much because it's just in everyone's face. But then it it also has just become so integral to everything yeah. that we try to do in our daily lives and how we think about the world and how we even relate and communicate to others. Like it's it's yeah. just a part of everything now. So that's just my my yeah. disclaimer on 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 politics and But also I'm over it. Right. <laughs> I'm fucking done. Yeah, I'm done. But yeah, speaking of overcompensating, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned previously, uh, I know that like in a broad sense, you 
I guess professionally speaking, you spend a lot of time kind of helping others deal with and prevent pain, generally yeah. speaking, uh, without even providing that much insight about what you actually do. But yeah. I'm very curious if that's something that you feel like makes you better at doing that for yourself or worse in a way. Both. Um, you have to, you have to figure it out. You know, it's a, it's a learning curve. So when I first started out in my career journey, I didn't say no to people mm -hmm. a lot. So it was like, do you want to go work this event? Do you want to go here? Do you want to, you know, take on this client? Like, mm -hmm. and it was like, yeah, of course. Cause I loved it and I loved to help people. And I would, work myself until I was sick. Like quite literally, oh, I would, yeah. I would not have a day off and I would think back and I'd be like, man, I haven't had a day off in like six weeks, seven weeks. Like that's crazy. You know, yeah. I've just been filling my calendar with different things. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have a fever and I'm really sick and I can't mm. come to work for three days. And my body actually like physically is like, bitch, quit, like quit <laughs> it, you know, like stop. Yeah. So after doing that enough and seeing other people who I respect in my field making the same decisions that I was making. And I'm like, why do you do that? Like, that's not. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of realize um, a phrase that's really stuck with me for a long time since I was younger is um, you need to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And that's just not leading by how can you sit there and tell one person like you need to make sure you sleep and you need to take a day off and you need to make sure you rest and this has to be incorporated into your routine. And if you want to perform mm -hmm. highly and optimize everything like this, you need to take care of yourself and then turn around and do the exact fucking opposite. Like that mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. So um, it's helped me understand how to take care of myself in specifics right. in a better way. Um, but it was a very big learning curve on how to get there mm -hmm. first. Yeah. It's not something they teach you, you know, For sure. in school. They're mm -hmm. not like, oh, but also make sure you rest. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> just kidding. Midterms, like, let's go, you know? Yeah. So it's it's not. Exactly. Yeah. It's something you have to learn. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of a common, uh, I guess, not hypocrisy, but just a, a strange contrast to that you feel like even I'll, I'll use an example in the medical field that like typically doctors don't seem to be all that healthy. Right. And, or even sometimes even like often some of the best like personal trainers don't even necessarily do a great job of taking care of themselves. And I think it's yeah. maybe aesthetically so, because mm -hmm. I feel like that is so ingrained in whether or not people will take you seriously in right. that space. But or even, you know, therapists or things on that front where it's just people who do these things for a living, you would think intuitively that it's like, oh, OK, they they have all this knowledge. They're exposed to it all the time. They're always giving people advice, helping others. Should be pretty easy for them right, to yeah. to do all these things, but it, it doesn't always seem to pair up now. Um Healthcare professionals, are, I think, are very guilty of being empathetic people quite mm -hmm. naturally, you know, especially if you're good at what you do in the healthcare field, you're you're going to be an empathetic person because you're going to want to help people. That's mm -hmm. your your main drive. Right. But when you take on a lot of weight, um, escapism seems to be. Yeah. 
the name of the game. And whether that's with food or alcohol or smoking or, you know, just working more so you don't have to think about it, mm -hmm. that's it tends to be something. And it's it's whether you're an ER surgeon or someone like me who works with athletes who's just dealing with people that are, you know, frustrated and in pain and stuff. It's still after a certain amount of time, like that's going to weigh on you. Right. Like it's what you hear or a therapist who's like hearing these horrible things that have happened to all these people. Like you have to find a way to cope mm -hmm. and you have to find a way to filter that. You can't just be in the moment and then expect your body to be okay with that without having any kind of system in place mm -hmm. to do it. And I think that's what people mistake. They don't understand that they're just creating harmful systems. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't understand that like, oh, I just got off a 24 hour shift as a nurse. I'm just going to go nap and then drink with all my friends and right. get too drunk. And, you know, then mm -hmm. you're like, ugh, I don't feel good. And you're just creating unhealthy systems. You mm -hmm. know, doing that every once in a while isn't a big thing. But if you're doing that pretty constantly, then right. you probably should question what it is that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. If that's, if that's your go-to, it's, it's just not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I am curious, is there anything in particular that you find has been helpful on that front to just allow you to, let's just say broadly, not take all of that home in that sense? Um, one of my all time favorite words is no. And <laughs> <laughs> I it's love to say no. I love to tell people no. And I think especially as women, we are not encouraged to mm -hmm. say no enough. You know, like you, you hear it a lot, like no means no and just say no. And, you right. know, people don't really ever say no, especially empathetic people who want to help people. So I have very firm lines in my practice of these are my office hours. Like this is what's expected mm -hmm. of you. And there has to be expectations of both the patient and the practitioner, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that in my setting, it's easy because I'm working with younger people. I'm working with athletes. So I'm like, they come in and they're like, oh, you know, my arm's been hurting for like two weeks. And I'm like, it's 8 p.m. and you just finished <laughs> practice. I'm going home. You're coming in tomorrow right. and you're coming in at this time and I'll see you then ice it. You know, if it's been hurting for two weeks, it's yeah, you're going to be OK for one more day, mm -hmm. you know, and that it could sound harsh to a lot of people. And but you have to set those boundaries for yourself where it's like, hey, do you want to work this event, you know, this weekend? And it's like, eh, you know, I could use the money, but no. Right. No. Like I, I need my own personal time and space. And then also not feeling the need to defend my choices. And myself. Mm -hmm. I don't need to explain myself to you like, oh, could you help me with this? No. Like that's it. Yeah. No. Most people would yeah. respect it <laughs> yeah, if you exactly. just say no, like, but it's, some it's people might be hard. confused and they're like, but I really need help moving. And it's like, well, I shouldn't have to tell you that I worked for 13 hours yesterday and I need mm -hmm. one day off. And I just, I don't have the mental capacity to do it. Um, I'll tell you that if that's really what you want to hear, but like, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life, life is complicated and full of pain yeah. and suffering. There's always a reason to say no. And right. I think, People often want an explanation, but often that is what that's kind of the enabler. Right. And I, mm -hmm. I can certainly admit to being someone who tends to do that. Where I don't necessarily have a problem not saying yes to things, yeah. but I tend to talk around it. So if someone yeah. is like, oh, can you do this? 
it's more of a, well, I don't know because this, mm-hmm. as opposed to, as you said, just being like, no, no, I, I can't. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Uh, even though that's that's probably the most reasonable way to approach it. If you really wanted to kind of protect your own well-being in that sense, but it's it's very hard to just say no and stick with it. And I'm thinking of it now that you should definitely write a book called No Woman. Yeah. <laughs> yes, man. Because Yes, man is like a fun movie and stuff. Yeah. But I think this might be a much better story. Yeah. And maybe a more helpful story. And not that there's not that there's not. That's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> there is value in saying yes. Absolutely. There's certainly a philosophy there that's important. There's lessons to be learned from that movie and that overall mode of being. Yes. But no has to be there as well, clearly, from mm-hmm. you know how yeah. the movie plays out. It's a very that, important <laughs> lesson. Yeah, it's a very important lesson. That you, you have to be ready to say no mm-hmm. at any time to almost anyone. Or maybe even anyone, maybe even the people that you care about the most. I think intent is important, right? Mm. My no's are for me out of like self-care and self-preservation and self-love. Like Mm. if I'm saying no because I'm being petty or if I'm saying no because I'm being spiteful or if I'm saying no because I'm being lazy, those are very different things, you know, so I have to be very conscious of my intent. But if, you know. You guys are like, oh, do you guys want to come over for dinner? And I'm like, oh, my God, I've been working all day and I'm so tired and this Mm -hmm. and that. Like, I shouldn't feel. I shouldn't let this like weird societal pressure dissuade me from not to. And I'm like, I really want to see them. But, you know, and I just can't like I don't I shouldn't have to like talk myself Mm -hmm. out of something like if my first general inclination is going to is like. But you're going to be too tired to do that. Then that's what I'm going to roll with. Like, mm. you know, I can't. I can't today. I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll plan it again. It's going to be fine. You know, and I think that takes a lot of pressure and a lot mm. of stress off of friendships and relationships because there's no obligation. There's no sense of obligation. So what I think people that know me and friends that know me, if I'm doing something for you or with you, it's because mm-hmm. I genuinely really want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. I would never want someone to do something for me out of obligation Mm -hmm. that's that's so upsetting to me yeah (laughs) like that's like it just really bugs me like oh you want to hang out and it's like no no but i yeah i I guess guess we'll go hang out yeah exactly like oh like i guess we haven't seen each other in a long time so like yeah like no i don't want any part of that so Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a really important aspect of this whole dynamic Mm -hmm. is that it does it does make the yes mean more yeah and but also on the other side of that i think it's just your point about not really needing to explain or defend yourself mm-hmm. that it's so important or so valuable to have people in your life that will give you the benefit of the doubt yeah so that it is that no is okay to say and mm-hmm. that even if you can't explain yourself or any time i feel like for I mean, anyone, but especially anyone in your life that you specifically care about more than the average person. If anyone ever says no because they need to take care of themselves Mm -hmm. or prioritize their mental health or it's just not a good time for them, that should always be a perfectly good reason. Because you never know 
it's an excellent weed out system is dealing with Mm -hmm. you have no fucking clue and they're right you know your dog could have just died or something and you don't want to talk about it but there's always a good reason to say no yeah and sure if you're trying to like establish a intimate relationship that is not there yet it can be probably confusing if someone's just like telling you no all the time with no explanation you know (laughs) it shouldn't be an all the time thing let me let me like add some context it shouldn't be an all the time thing no i I know that's not what you're saying i was saying you know just a caveat there like you know let's just say you're you're dating someone and you know they're just like hey you want to go out tonight just like no and then it's like no thank you i'm tired Uh, like that could be confusing but with people in your life that that you know and that you have relationships with and that you elect to spend time with and have them be a part of your life. Yeah. I think that should always be our default is to assume that they have a good reason for right. what they're doing. Yeah. Like because my friends not, aren't assholes. Well, I mean, they're assholes, but they're like the best kind of sure. assholes. You know what I mean? So they're not going to just like be like, no, fuck you. Like, you know, and right. I would much rather them do that. I have some friends that don't like confrontation and mm. they'll just be like, oh, I didn't see your text. I'm actually super tired today. And I'm mm. just like, Bitch, you could have been like, no, three hours ago. And I've been like, all right, cool. Like, (laughs) it would have been Mm. fine. But I I picked it up actually when I was single and living on my own because I read something that was, you know, I was guilty of it. If a guy approached me at a bar and he wouldn't leave me alone, I'd be like, oh, I have a boyfriend. Like, Mm -hmm. that's stupid. Like, (laughs) I hate that. Women don't do that. It just means you're conditioning men to think that your imaginary boyfriend mm. is more important and deserves more respect right. than you standing there in front of them. Mm. So like I became really, and I mean, I, sometimes I was rude. I shouldn't say it all the time. I got like great joy out of being like, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> but there were situations where like some guy was like, could I buy you a drink? And I, I had no, attraction towards that Mm -hmm. person you know they didn't seem like a nice person they were drunk they were sloppy like whatever the reason was Mm -hmm. i didn't need to explain myself no thank you like no yeah that's a perfectly reasonable answer you should feel empowered when you say the word no like it should feel good or or another like you're dating someone if you hooked up one night and then you go out again and they're trying to like push you into hooking up again but you don't want to Mm -hmm. no Right. No. Like, yeah. it's like you don't have to explain yourself. It's just mm-hmm. you have to trust your intuition, your gut, and say what you really feel. And I I just love the word no. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I think I could, I could maybe take a page out of your book yeah. sometimes on that one. <laughs> I could definitely do better on that front. But just to bring it full circle on something you just said, it, it does, it does add more value to the yes. Yeah. That, when someone does say yes in any context and even in the one you just gave about like someone trying to buy you a drink that you should kind of assume that they're going to say no. And right. then it's surprised when someone says yes, like, and you're yeah, like, sure. Oh, they're actually interested. It's not that they just feel weird or pressured or obligated or, or they, they just, just want, want a free drink. drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say yes. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. You know, um, now that means that maybe, they might have There's some, some kind interest. of shot. Yeah. But yeah, just in general, I think it's honesty is, is generally the best policy mm-hmm. just because it does 
it adds a different tone to everything that you say. And if you come off as an honest person, sure, sometimes people can get their feelings hurt, but they at least know that you're being real with them when they need you to be. Yeah. And it can be very difficult, especially, I mean, just in any space, but something I've talked about in a previous episode, like in creative spaces or when you're trying to like work on something or even just work on yourself and you're trying to get feedback, yeah. honest feedback from mm -hmm. your peer group or those around you, it can be difficult when you have, we don't have people around you who are willing to just be like, that's not good. That that wasn't very good. Like yeah. maybe you should try something else because that hurts, but it's, you don't want to waste years of your life because everyone around you has just been like, yeah, you should do that because mm -hmm. we should all just be positive all the time, even if it's not true. Right. Uh, I was just talking about that yesterday with a friend and we were discussing how um, like, yes, people and people pleasers. Mm -hmm. Um, and people who avoid conflict and things like that. You don't have to be a super confrontational person, but people that will just tell you what you want to hear mm -hmm. to avoid being like, I disagree with you. You know, right. like I have a really, really hard time trusting those people mm -hmm. and I can kind of pick them out. I'm better at it now than mm -hmm. when I was, but those just aren't the people that I go to for advice. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I'm saying. My friends are assholes and I love that. You know, if mm -hmm. I can... And, you know, my partner, he's an asshole, but I love him. Like right. if, you know, so it's like I can go to him at any time and be like, what do you think? And he'll be like, it sucks. And mm -hmm. like, <laughs> but nicer, you know, he's nicer than I am, you know, and it's and it's great. And we'll have moments where he'll ask me for feedback and I'm like, you should change this because I don't like it. And he's mm -hmm. like, well, I put it like that because then I'm like, whoa, whoa. Why'd you ask me like, if you're going <laughs> right. to get weird and defensive about it? And he's like, well, I just, you know, and I'm like, you just take it or leave it. You don't mm. need to explain yourself or do whatever. Um, but it's it's refreshing to have people that will just express themselves. Right. It's more refreshing when those people don't take it personally mm. when you return the favor. But I don't I I can't. I know a yes person like when I meet them, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I and I work with a yes person and I know that I can say things to her and she'll just be like, oh, yeah, totally. And like mm -hmm. nod. And I'm like, bitch, like a real, uh, <laughs> tell me what Andy you think. Bernard. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. A real <laughs> the ultimate yes, man. Yeah. yeah. You want to be a Nelly. You don't want to be <laughs> an Andy Bernard. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely preferable. <laughs> Because I think, and I, I won't dive into this too much because plenty of people won't know what we're talking about, uh. but definitely to me, the most hateable and despicable character in that entire show is Andy. Um, and granted, sure, there's an arc and there's a time where yeah. he's kind of, he kind of comes around. Lovable. But who he is at the beginning is like the worst he's kind the worst. of person. More yeah. so than any of the other kind of perfectly flawed Yes, ridiculously characters. flawed characters yeah. that the show present it uh. is the worst kind of person and um <laughs> i guess that's my rant for the day yeah exactly <laughs> but, um, i knew we were going to insert the office somewhere into here. <laughs> I but, yeah uh but speaking of rants i know that you have spoken to in the past that like i guess kind of on the anger and frustration spectrum that, that can sometimes mm. be your default yeah. response to things <laughs> and i guess i'm just kind of curious in the past few weeks or, or years even if there's anything that has helped you cope on that front or anything that you find has helped you maybe 
dull the blade in that sense that is uh, valuable? So, um, just reviewing these questions this morning before it, it was so funny reading this because, you know, I, my brain went on such a journey, you know, when I first started reading this question, I was like, man, you know, and I'm not an angry person mm -hmm. by any means, but I have found that my coping mechanism is to harness anger mm -hmm. and find some kind of lightning rod to mm -hmm. just destroy, you know, and sure. it's, you know, and it can be for very sad situations. Mm -hmm. When I found out that my grandmother was dying, my mm -hmm. instant reaction was to find someone to be angry at about sure. it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of classic and stereotypical, but, you know, anger is my, my safe place. Mm -hmm. And through self-reflection and through examining my past and kind of realizing what was going on there, I didn't have, I had a very happy childhood. Mm -hmm. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't violent. It was very, um, it was like driven and performance centered and things like that. And mm -hmm. my parents wanted me to be good, better, best like right. kind of thing. And, you know, that's fine. But I, I learned to take adrenaline mm -hmm. and harness it into aggression controlled aggression because sure. i was in martial arts you know mm -hmm. so it was um and i competed constantly like it mm -hmm. was you know and i was training five or six days a week and we were sparring and we were fighting and we were i was able to take anything bad that happened mm -hmm. during that day and channel it in a really healthy and productive way right so i don't think that i saw it as an issue mm. Um, until I got older and me and my mom were talking about, you know, some of the fights that we got in and everything. And I had gotten so good at harnessing my anger that I don't really get flustered the way other people do when they're angry. Right. So when people are angry, they have a tendency, most people to get a little beside themselves like some people will cry some mm. people will get really frustrated and they yell and they kind of lose some control of themselves mm. i remain very much in control when i'm angry like right. i'm it's the type of, of person switch. that if i'm yelling i'm usually happy and just like arguing but like if i'm quiet like there's some shit about to mm. go down like so my mom would tell me she would be like i would get frustrated because we'd be arguing but you would just get meaner like your tongue would just get sharper. Like mm. you would just like lash out and say mean things. And I don't want to do that to like anybody. Like I don't want to yeah. lash out or say things. And so I think identifying that was like a first really big step, really big change. Um, I can handle it more in smaller situations now where mm. if I find myself angry, I can just kind of hold my tongue, like just tell mm -hmm. myself, no, like, yeah. <laughs> like quit it, you know, and sit back. Um, bigger situations are a little bit harder to muster. You know, um, my dad had a minor heart attack in September and he's okay. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. Um, but my first reaction was to get angry at my mom and like mm -hmm. essentially tell her like, if you two don't quit smoking, I'm going to lose my shit. Like, you know, and yeah. instantly. And I was like, <sighs> as soon as I got off the phone with her, I was like, I should have been there for her 
Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm kicking myself afterwards. So bigger things are still hard for me, but smaller situations are easier. It's, I think it's just about recognizing when it's happening. And that's really hard because if something is like your safe place and your comfort zone, and that's what helps get you through these hard situations. It's not like you can practice like terrible things happening to mm. you. You know, you kind of have to take it as it comes. So I just need to set up. It shouldn't take me so long to realize that what I'm doing is probably not the best thing. You mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I called my mom back right away and <laughs> I was like, I'm really sorry. Are you OK? What can I do for you? You know, so as soon as I got done processing and luckily you know my mom's known me for um a long time so (laughs) (laughs) she kind of knew (laughs) she was like i knew you just needed to get it out of your system and you know we're good now and she's like we're gonna quit smoking and you know this Mm -hmm. and that but um if i could set off some kind of alarm bell to go hey maybe you should stop being such an asshole Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a minute like that would be helpful yeah yeah yeah. two things there but firstly i think it's definitely something that i can relate to when I was Mm -hmm. in high school I guess I was a senior at the time my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and um that was more so my default reaction I never considered myself to necessarily as you said be like an angry person or anything Mm -hmm. I think some people think that I'm generally maybe uh too mellow yeah like you should be mad at that (laughs) right oh yeah Miranda says it to me all the time but um (laughs) So you should be reacting more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was something where I just, I didn't know how to handle it. And mm-hmm. I was just mad because my mom does a great job of taking care of herself. Mm-hmm. She does all the right things. She's, I mean, I'm not going to go and just be one of those people that just like glows over their mom, but like, she's a wonderful person. And if mm-hmm. anyone who meets her, I think, gets that vibe from her she's incredibly kind and giving of herself she just she didn't deserve it was it was a thing that that really not that anyone deserves it but at the time that was so hard for me to deal with that this happened to her and not someone else even myself you know at that point in life i was just so frustrated that this had just randomly kind of come and just like as a wrecking ball through our lives at a time that you know it was the timing was not good for a lot of reasons. Not that it's ever good mm-hmm. for something like that. But I just, I, I carried a lot of anger at that point in my life. And I didn't really channel it into anything, to be fair. I think I just held on to it. But it did change the way I generally saw the world. I was just kind of mad at the world. And I didn't lash out per se, but I distanced myself. Mm-hmm. And at that time in my life, I just was kind of in this mode of, putting myself in a box in a way that I felt like no one could relate to me. Mm-hmm. No one really understood. I didn't really talk to my friends about it. They knew, but I didn't open up about it. I didn't yeah. really put it out there. I just kind of dealt with it. And I was just like, I'm just trying to get through this last year of high school and, you know, get into college or whatever and yeah. just put my head down. And I just kind of kept to myself and I'm not going to say that I maybe lost a lot in that year because I did that per se, but I did put up a certain amount of of barriers that I feel like 
were definitely limiting, right? I just was kind of mad at the world. And I felt like I was very alone in what I was experiencing. And it didn't really have to be that way. Yeah. And I maybe could have suffered less through that time in my life if I wasn't as mad about it or just not knowing where to place my emotions because right. it wasn't anyone's fault. It just happened. Uh, but I didn't have enough of a even philosophical framework at that point in my life to contextualize what had happened and the nature of, of life. So I just kind of was mad. Yeah. Um, but I guess just to jump back, the second thing I was going to note that I, I feel like I've heard from a few people that I know who tend to, not to say that they have anger issues, but it is something that they they have to be conscious of yeah. and to control. And even people who have, you know, athletic backgrounds or especially in combat sports and things like that, where you do, you are kind of trained to have that switch that you can flip mm -hmm. and not that even necessarily out of control, but it's just, it's, it's a tool that's very sharp that yeah. you can use. And sometimes it's hard to know when to use it. Right. And the value of just kind of having a buffer of sorts whether that be through some sort of a, a meditative practice or something on that spectrum where you you at least give yourself like one second when yeah. a stimulus comes in to be like, let me just check in with myself real quick. Yeah. It can make all the difference instead of just being like, no, I'm just going to flip the switch because I need it right now. And having even just a second or two or over time, just building up the amount or the, even just the quantity of that buffer the mm -hmm. volume of that buffer if you will can be so valuable because most times it's it's just not needed and it's not like no, we're, it's just yeah it's not we're necessary not out in the forest like there's not bears coming after us and you yeah. don't have to be on all the time to survive in this world but we still kind of feel like we do in a lot of circumstances that we we very much fear that it, it, we those same biological responses get triggered in yeah. just social contexts where we feel threatened or we feel like we might be ostracized or put on the outside. Like that's an incredibly primal fear. Or yeah. we just feel like our status within our tribe or within the context of our important relationships is being potentially altered. Like that is a very dangerous situation and yeah. it's not it's not a tiger coming at your throat, but it kind of feels but that way. But your reality <laughs> is getting threatened, mm -hmm. you know? So that's another, I always think that me specifically, but people that do have anger issues, you know, people have a fight or flight response. Like I have like a mm -hmm. fight or like really fight response, you know? <laughs> so like that's a, I just like joke around about that because even when I was younger, before I was in martial arts, I got in like weird fights on the playground and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it, I didn't hesitate like somebody's getting lippy like <laughs> uh like i've punched my cousin in the face like before mm -hmm. like you know like yeah. i was like stop 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 and then it happened you know and mm -hmm. so i just like i violence is such like a strange word for me to use like mm -hmm. punching someone in the face is a violent thing but to me it's just like you deserved it. Like mm. you earned it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. wear it like a badge. Like if you're going to, if you're going to be a dick, <laughs> don't be surprised if someone punches you in the face. Like that's the rule of life. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? There are a lot of people walking around that the only difference between like who they are now and them being a better person is somebody kicking their ass. Like mm -hmm. I have, I believe that right. like, you know, and I'm like, but do you really need to be that guy that just mm -hmm. like 
you know, and is it really necessary? Like people should be able to figure it on their own, but just the way I was brought up and raised and stuff like that. And like I said, my parents didn't hit me. Like it wasn't a thing, like, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I didn't hesitate. I I hung out with a lot of dudes in high school and in college. Like I Mm -hmm. lived with four guys and if, you know, one of them mouthed off or said something, it wasn't anything for me to like punch him in the arm. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like a thing. But when I met Josh, like, he is so opposed to any kind of like physical mm. violence like that. Right. Like he didn't understand it. Like if I reached over and like smacked him in the arm, he was like, why are you hitting me? And I was like, I don't know, right? because he said something <laughs> dumb. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, why am I hitting it? But it's like, because of his past, he doesn't like it. It makes mm. him very uncomfortable. So, you know, I had to learn to like draw lines mm. for myself and not do that. And I, I have no desire to like back away from a situation or run from it. So it's like, even, even in situations where, like I said, where your reality is being disheveled, Mm -hmm. you know, like I believed in karma until I met Josh (laughs) because he's been through some shit, man. And I'm like, if he can have a life like that and then like Donald Trump can be president and Mm -hmm. like appear very happy. Like, it makes me really question karma. mm -hmm. So when things like, you know, your mother, like her getting breast cancer, it's mm. not fair. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think karma gave me a lot of like comfort and a lot mm. of structure, um, being like an agnostic or atheist, mm-hmm. uh, belief system. Anyways, it, it gave me some kind of like right. sense of control mm-hmm. over my situation, even though it's just, it's all bullshit. Like, <laughs> and sure. maybe in the long run, karma is a thing, but I don't yeah. see a lot of evidence of it anymore. And so like, but when somebody comes and flips the table, you're sitting at upside down with like, and it just shatters your reality. Mm-hmm. Like that's a fight or flight response trigger. Yeah. So I'm going to get pissed off. That's going to be my first inclination. Mm-hmm. So it's just. Yeah. And I think one thing that I guess I maybe have a different <laughs> relationship with karma as a concept because I, I don't really subscribe to what people, how people normally talk about it. But yeah. I, I feel like in a sense, I guess to put it as simply as I can, everyone has to deal with themselves. And I, maybe I'm kind of in the minority. I've had some conversations with other people about this in which generally people don't seem to agree with me on it, but I feel like people who are shitty generally feel shitty on some level. And it might be something they generally do a great job of suppressing it. And they yeah. they build out this entire framework that makes it possible for them to a large amount of the time appear and for whatever that's worth, maybe even be happy or content with themselves. But I feel like people do have some sort of innate sense of, except, you know, beyond maybe psychopathy that people have an innate sense of what, what their actions do to others and Mm -hmm. what they should or shouldn't do. I feel like we do have some sort of an innate sense of morality and that starts to get into a different kind of ethical and philosophical space. But I feel like people who are shitty feel shitty. Yeah. It's honestly the best way that I can put it. And that's not to say that people who are good to others can't also feel shitty, but I feel like at the end of the day, when people if you take advantage of others and you're constantly putting other people down and you have no sort of ethical framework, when you sit with yourself 
alone. And you can try to avoid it as much as you can. You can try to fill your life with all different kinds of distraction and stimulus and put people around you who tell you that you're awesome. But I feel like when you sit yourself with yourself, even just when you lay in bed at night, like 30 seconds before you fall asleep, even if you're one of those people that's just like out, yeah. that you have to sit with yourself for a second and know that what you're doing isn't right. And once again, this is totally intuition based for me. It's not like I have any evidence that this is true. Right. And I'm just kind of going based on how I feel when I do things that I know I shouldn't. And when I hurt people, I sure like everyone, I have a certain capacity to try to contextualize that and even rationalize it half mm -hmm. of the time. You know, everyone's trying to tell themselves that they're a good person or that what they've done in life thus far is more good than bad. But I, I feel like even those people, those incredibly despicable people as we frame them, I feel like they suffer in a way that that those who at least try to be decent don't. And I I could be wrong, but yeah. that's, I, I guess, how I like to think about it. I completely agree with you. And honestly, I think that if people are putting out certain kinds of energy into the world, like they're going to attract more people like them. And I think some people are surrounded with a lot of negativity because they're negative people and they're attracting more of that into your life. And, um, I think in a, in a broader sense, I have done a lot of, uh, religious research. If you focus on like what karma truly is in mm -hmm. like a Buddhist sense, um, Buddhism doesn't really label things as good or bad. Um, right. so yeah, getting diagnosed with a brain tumor getting diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it's not good or bad. It's just a thing that happens in life and you process it and your good karma comes from how you respond to it. Um, how you treat other people when bad things are happening to you. And then it comes back to you in different ways. And mm -hmm. that can be being surrounded by your loving family. And it could be, um, coming out of it healthy and happy or you pass on, but you get to have, like your loved ones around you, mm. but it doesn't, I think that was like a growing point. Like, cause life isn't fair a lot. A lot of people that got COVID this year had to like die by themselves. And that's like yeah. such a huge fear of mine. So that was very triggering to think mm. about. And I was like, oh, how does that even like make sense? Cause a lot of these people were really good people and had all this family and stuff like that. But mm. there's, if you look for a silver lining, like you're going to find it. And if you look for some kind of positive situation like that, like maybe that was better for some of your loved ones, like, mm -hmm. you know, from a, a more selfless perspective, like maybe, you know, her daughter couldn't handle watching her pass. Like mm -hmm. maybe that would have scarred her in some way. And this was better. So, I mean, I think if you keep a very neutral perspective of like, it's mm -hmm. not good and bad, it's just like, things in life are happening and you're interpreting them as like a human, right. then I, I think it's a little bit easier to believe in karma because way too many, it's not just like good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. I think oversimplifying it, that's when it gets you right. into some deep shit and you're just oh, like, yeah. everything's a lie. And that's <laughs> kind of like what I went through, you know, mm. a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm glad you generally brought up Buddhism, because I think it's probably the spiritual framework. I, I don't even really feel like it's a religion. I feel like it mm -hmm. is kind of a misnomer in that sense. Um, 
that that resonates with me the most. And I, I come from a from a Catholic background. I was yeah. I was raised Catholic, and uh, you might imagine that <laughs> that means very little to me pretty, now. Pretty <laughs> off course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very off course. But in some ways, not in the sense mm-hmm. that even in these kind of Judeo Christian, uh, I guess, frameworks, there is still this concept of heaven and hell, which I feel like is or well, I guess not necessarily in the Judeo side of that paradigm, but um, always one of those things that I feel like for non-religious people or people who have no religious background, it's like heaven and hell, like what the fuck are you talking about? It's nonsense. Yeah, it's one of those things that even when I was a kid, when I first started to question things, I was like, really? Heaven and hell? Yeah. It seems pretty wild, man. (laughs) Yeah, where are they though? Yeah. And then they burn forever like that? Yeah. That doesn't seem good. Uh, You know? No. Uh, But... Yeah, this idea that I, f- I feel like was maybe one of the first ways in which I kind of diverged from my religious framework at a pretty young age is when I was like, I kind of reject that concept, but mm-hmm. that there's still something maybe truthful at its core. And that's yeah. that you kind of create your, your heaven it's or state hell of mind. Yeah. on earth. Mm-hmm. And that if you, as I kind of spoke to previously, if you do bad things, and you can try to justify it. You can try to insulate yourself from it, but you will, in a way, create a hell within your mind, and mm-hmm. you will suffer deeply in ways that might not be obvious to others, but that, in a more, uh, I guess, secular framing, I do think that your your self esteem is maybe the, one of the most valuable things that you have in your life, and that that pretty much directly correlates with your adherence to your ethical framework. Yeah. And I think some people have no ethical framework because they've rejected religion mm-hmm. or we are living in this kind of, you know, post, you know, God is dead society in right. which it's becoming more and more common to reject religion in, in all of its forms and all of its flaws, but that we haven't found anything to replace that. Yeah. And not, of course, there's still a perfectly reasonable way to build out an ethical framework for life without it, yeah. but that it is more challenging. It's not like you can just like go read one book and be like, this has all the answers. And so I do really feel that your adherence to whatever sort of sense of morality that you do have is directly correlates with how you feel about yourself and, and how you operate in the world. And if you can't do that, it's it's going to be impossible to quote unquote be happy or even just be content if you continue to do things to have this cognitive dissonance all the time where you're right. like, I feel like I really shouldn't be doing this. But yeah. you know, that that sense of of conscious, I feel like it's often the most, at least in my experience, the strongest correlation between how you actually like your just overall well-being. Yeah. Is is how well that is built out and how much you're able to adhere to that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think if you're stepping out of religion, you should be stepping into some kind of existentialism or spirituality or something you have to, I think it's important um, as a human, like I think it's an important part of being human is to explore a little bit deeper. And it's kind of like lost are those who don't seek the light. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like whatever that light looks like, whether it's, uh, biblical or whatever, but you have to find some kind of compass. Like if you're just focusing, focusing too much on 
materialism and success and worldly things, mm -hmm. I think that's when people kind of lose sight of what's important and don't do right. And some people get really sucked into that. And mm -hmm. um, I just hope that they can find their way out eventually, you know, mm -hmm. and, and find something that works for them because everybody's morals are going to be different if you're stuff aligns with hinduism or buddhism or some kind of organized religion or you can kind of self-explore and bring yourself to uh a realization on your own i i just think that 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 like feeling that mm -hmm. inherent like belief of like right and wrong and things like that and you don't even have to believe that there's consequences other than like you said creating your own personal hell or yeah feeling guilt about your choices or whatever it's 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 important as humans to have that it's mm -hmm. kind of what separates us from right. from beast you know yeah. what i mean so um i think you're missing out on a really important part of the human experience if you don't explore those things mm -hmm. yeah and I, mean, I guess to put a bow on this topic there's this book i've been reading by um who is it i believe peter singer called the most good you can do and it, it's mm -hmm. all about the effective altruism movement, which I've talked about in depth on a previous episode and just kind of trying to get, break down what it takes and what it means to live an ethical life and just do the most good you can do in the world, given whatever circumstance you're faced with. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really resonated with me is, and something I've been speaking to today is this, just this idea that if you really do, it's an interesting progression, but I think most people can follow it where if you feel like everyone is equal in their value, I think that's something that most people can agree to. Maybe not some, but yeah, more often than not, I think people can, regardless of where they fall on things and say, yeah, everyone um, has equal value in life. And if you really feel that way. I think it would surprise you how many people don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could be right. Maybe I'm being too much of an optimist yeah, maybe. in that sense, but if I think anyone interested in living some sort of a moral life, yeah, okay, yeah, I think would have to entertain that. You know, yeah, they would some, have to. I think that's a basic, you know, building block. They should is what we should. Yeah, they um, should face that. And if you can acknowledge that, then this idea that you would treat anyone else's life or existence or suffering in a way that places more value on yours than theirs would be unethical so how it what it's getting to in this context and i, I kind of took it somewhere else personally but it's basically talking about how you know the value of giving where it's most needed so uh -huh. one basic principle is like giving to international organizations focused on global poverty you're going to be able to quite literally do far more good in the world than giving something domestic in the u.s just because the depth of suffering is so disproportionate where right. you might be able to save legitimately save someone's life for, you know, two or $3,000 in a third world country where in the U S that might be enough, you know, just to get someone through, you know, a couple months yeah. of life and in a way to give there as opposed to where it's most needed, there's this kind of uncomfortable mathematical, yeah deviance where you know it's there's even a more extreme example where they talk about people who donate organs um mm -hmm. while they're still alive 
uh, randomly to whoever needs them the most. So like a kidney that Mm -hmm. in theory is quite safe to give. It's something like one in 4,000, the risk of having serious complication and death from it. And you're essentially saving someone's life or at least adding about a decade to their life to do it at minimal cost to you. So in a way, and maybe this breaks down for some people because it's kind of more of an extreme example, but in a way to keep that kidney is almost to suggest that your life is 4,000 times more valuable than someone who would need your kidney. Right. And it's, it's a tough pill to swallow because, mm-hmm. you know, when you really start to break this stuff down, it really makes you reevaluate everything that you spend time and money on in life. But to me, as someone who has a religious background, it kind of, for me, comes back to this golden rule being this ultimate principle that that was like what Jesus was all about. And when, yeah. even when I had some sort of a religion was still a part of my life, that was the one thing I kind of hung on to, even though I rejected most of it. I was like, you know, this golden rule is pretty dope. Like this yeah, is, this is, is kind a, of a, a winner here. Yeah. And if you just, if you value people equally, you're going to treat others how you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that is almost as much of a compass as you need. And sure, things get infinitely complicated in life because that is life. But if you genuinely approach things with that perspective that everyone else is just as valuable as you and that you treat them as though that is actually true, that, you know, if you could give your life for one person who needed their life That's like the aha moment though, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think as a society do we did we construct our society in a way that shows everybody's life is valued the same like absolutely not you know like the fact that you know um i keep talking about him but like trump gets sick with covid and then he gets all this like amazing medical treatment and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but then people are like having to choose between food and insulin Mm -hmm. in other parts of our country not even all over the world our country Mm -hmm. um okay, do I eat this month or do I get my medication? Like, right. you know, and it's, it's horrifying and something basic and simple like healthcare, um, I think shows how we do value society. And mm-hmm. you can ask somebody like, okay, do you think everybody's equal? And somebody who's very materialistic and they're like, no, mm-hmm. but like you place a gun in your, their hand and you tell them, okay, like the least valuable member of society, somebody mm-hmm. who's not contributing this and that, like just kill them off. It's easier. Who is going to be able to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, you place a gun in their hand, they're not going to be able to pull the trigger a lot of the time. Right. Right. I mean, there are people that will be able to, but like those are, that's a different kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a different problem. Um, But I think that that disconnect of what our society is functioning as, where Mm -hmm. there's a hierarchy of value of people, Mm -hmm. even how people view themselves. They're like, oh, I wish I was this famous person. I wish I looked like that. I wish I did that. And their self-worth is like Mm -hmm. crammed lower. But then you ask them, do you think that your life is less valuable than the person over there? Well, no. Mm -hmm. So that that disconnect is creating a lot of human turmoil in itself. You know, like when you have a core belief but you are actively viewing or doing or making action that's against that core belief it Mm -hmm. causes disease it causes mental health problems it causes everything so what you're describing i agree with i think it's great but i honestly think that our society as a whole would have to like completely shift in order for a lot Mm -hmm. of people to embrace that 
And right. I don't think it's unheard of, but I, I honestly think that like if people were more in touch with like what they believe, like deep in their mm-hmm. core and they acted in a way that is congruent with mm-hmm. that, then we would have a lot less issue. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I think it's something that, that often gets lost and that's why I kind of just really honed in on it just now because mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the solution. Maybe all, we all need a mission statement. Yeah. You know, maybe <laughs> we all need the golden rule uh, yes. every morning because of course that is in theory, obviously it exists in many other forms and places, but a fundamentally, a fundamental religious principle of Christianity, but it, in you or my, my experience in the world, it's not like we feel like every person who is a Christian is acting right. that out. Christian. And yeah. So it's, it's something that even just in that space, but I feel like any space or any belief system that you might have still is going to kind of come back to that principle to some extent. Yeah. And I think that most people could agree that it's a decent one. And I get that a lot of people just ignore it or they frame it in a way or they tell themselves that others are just outsiders or that there's exceptions. But it is something that I feel like, and you know, obviously I'm not the only one that thinks this was important, but that if people just more so focused on that specific aspect of religion or philosophy, that if we're just talking about what it means to be a human and to try to, you know, do as little suffering or to cause as little suffering in the world as possible, that it would fix a lot of shit. Yeah. If we mm-hmm. really thought that you, my life is just as valuable as yours, mm-hmm. you know, that just that by itself, I think can get us pretty far if you just let it actually play itself out. Yeah. If you just were able to keep that in mind every day, every exchange, you're like, this person just as valuable as me, hurting them just as bad as hurting myself and vice versa. Like you said, on the other side of it, that because often people tip it too far the other way. And so they're ultimately concerned about others and their feelings and them being hurt, but then their self-esteem is low mm-hmm. still. And so they're, they're fine with hurting themselves or they're, they're fine with sacrificing of themselves. Yeah. Um, or they're fine with hurting others mm-hmm. to make them feel better. Right. It, yeah. It goes both ways and, and can definitely be, it's it's just kind of a, a yeah. feedback loop that yeah it's it's relentless and it's infinite in its destruction because it's like this really weird paradigm that i felt humanity is kind of trapped in for a really long time because mm-hmm. if you think about um any kind of enlightenment um any kind of goal of religion you know uh jesus christ was a symbol of kindness and equality and he treated everyone the same mm-hmm. um in Buddhism, enlightenment is when you truly understand the connection between all living things on the mm-hmm. planet and you're at peace with it um, and you're not translating things into good or bad or better or worse. It's just it is, you know, you're mm-hmm. you're just being. And it's like that in a lot of religions, like mm-hmm. it's kindness and treating people right. And with the amount of religion that we have in the world where they're saying like you should you know love thy neighbor and Mm -hmm. like do this and like your life isn't important is like is not any more important than the next person but then you know when it comes time to feed your family Mm -hmm. if it's like you or them 
then all of a sudden reptile brain kicks in yeah and it's us against them and we need to worry about us first Mm -hmm. and fear and ego steps in so i feel like we have this like core spiritual value Mm -hmm. as a species that constantly and consistently gets ignored by primitive nature by tribalism by nationalism and it gets really messy and Mm -hmm. really weird and i think it causes a lot of a lot of problems and a lot of bullshit yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i'm i'm glad we've gotten to this point because i think it really does bring things full circle from where we started this conversation because we still have to try to love those people yeah the people that voted the other way the people that still support what happened at the Capitol, you know, the people that we feel so disconnected from Mm -hmm. because of politics that, and maybe that's the hardest thing in life. And there's a book by Salinger called Franny and Zoe, that this is kind of the ultimate thesis that that is the essence of, of life is, is trying to love that person. Mm. And sure, it's a, it's a basic religious principle. It's love thy neighbor, but it is kind of this epiphany moment in this story where someone is basically one of the characters is kind of this in this catatonic, depressive state mm. and can't get out of it. And for various reasons, but that that is ultimately the thing that kind of brings her out is this realization. Um, and the way that he frames it is a little different because she's a performer, but it's it's basically about as he frames it, not to be insensitive, but he calls it like loving the fat lady because Uh. this is this person in the audience as a performer that doesn't appreciate what she's doing, who is making all this noise, who uh, has no respect for her, her art form. And to be able in those moments to still want the best for that person, regardless of where they are in that moment to still want the best for them and to try to love them and to try to just acknowledge still all of those people have just as much value as you do, regardless of their right. flaws or their opinions. We're all just as valuable. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, like I said, it, it's, it's been incredibly hard in this past year to continue to do that, but. It's what sparked my truth crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why is my truth? Why do I feel like it's so much more important than mm-hmm. their truth? Right. You know, and that's kind of like, we have to figure out the context of it, where their truth is coming from. Is it based on fear? Is it based on ego? Is it based on love? Is it based on fact or logic? Like, where is it coming from? You know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of a thing. Like, what makes me better than this person who's also just as passionate about what they believe mm-hmm. as what I am about what I believe? Like, where where can we, not only where can we find middle ground, but like, where do we start? Like there has to be right and mm-hmm. wrong. Like at a, at a certain level, there has to be right and wrong. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's hard and you want to avoid it. And I'm like, I just want to be a monk and like <laughs> nothing is right and wrong and everything is as it should be, but also like stop hurting people. Like right. that's wrong, you know? So it's, it's a really weird it's mm-hmm. a really weird time to be alive. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of dope. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I did kind of want to just jump back onto the self-esteem point mm. before we totally moved off of that. Yeah. Uh, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is just like 
what people essentially value the most about themselves and even just asking that question to myself. Yeah. And so I was thinking about it in a little bit more of an abstract way that if you had to kind of start from square one as a person and like you were just like playing the genetic lottery. So you yeah. could just be anyone. Uh, it was just like your, let's just say reincarnation and you could end up as anyone, but you could just retain one quality uh, of your current self. Is there anything that, and that can be, you know, of personality of. Can I like come back as like Coral though? Like, do I have to be a person? Like the uh, next life? Like I would love I mean, to be like Coral for a little bit. I think that would be really cool. Just whatever, whatever that means. Like just experience that. Like yeah. I'm just Coral. Like <laughs> No, I mean, that would be dope. And I have actually, I don't know if you've heard the episode, but we go down that line and I was. I put forward a clam as a, oh. like it kind of spend a lifetime as another organism. See, I don't want things to eat vein. me. So I think uh, like, like coral. Do they? I think so. I was going to say, I eat a lot of clams, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yep, yeah, maybe like a redwood tree or something like mm. that, like in the, yeah. like in a preserved a similar, forest. Yeah, exactly. Similar idea, but so I do feel like you're kind of dodging me here. Yeah. So, so, okay, yeah. so uh, <laughs> one part about myself that I would keep. Yeah. And I get that this kind of can be an uncomfortable thing for people to <sighs> acknowledge. Um, I. And it doesn't have to be like an absolute answer, but like something that is, is going to be at the top of your consideration here that you'd be like, I definitely honestly, don't want to lose. It's not worth tr risking losing this about myself. Honestly, I was like, I feel like I would keep a lot of things about myself. Like, right. Oh, yeah. I've, I, I, I mean, I like, you're so. like, this could be uncomfortable, but, but I'm like, um, I'm really cool. Um, so <laughs> I feel like, no, I, mean, I think that's great. <laughs> um, if I could keep like one thing though, and I kind of, I think I like fudge the system a little bit on this okay. because my idea would be like, I don't necessarily need to keep the information that I have or, uh, memories or anything like that, but mm. just my mind. And how it processes things. Okay. I really. Any particular aspect of that? Uh, I really enjoy how introspective I can be. Okay. I really enjoy how I can get so focused on something that like the outside world sometimes doesn't exist. Like people mm. can be talking to me and I have, I don't no, hear you at all. Know. Like I can get like <laughs> lost in mm -hmm. thought. And I think that that's really important because no matter what my new life is, whatever kind of experience that is, the negativity and or the positivity of whatever that might look like, mm -hmm. I think that that kind of focus and introspection and ability to put yourself in multiple shoes and things like that. I think that that's a really important part of being a good person. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't need to keep the same IQ. I don't need to like have right. the same anything, but just the way my brain processes things and the way I'm able to focus on what I want. And I can, have selective hearing if I want like that's mm. like how nice. into my brain I can get and I yeah. think that that's and I'm not and this doesn't have to come with me either because I feel like it's something that's learned but I'm not afraid to like sit alone in mm -hmm. silence yeah no it's fine if it's learned it's just yeah. anything that you have right but yeah I think that's an incredibly valuable asset that I maybe took for granted for right. most of my life 
I thought that was like multiple things. I was like, am I cheating by saying this? Like, I feel like that's a lot uh, I mean, of things. You are cheating a bit, <laughs> okay. but I, I think I get what you're, what you're trying to say. Right. And that, um, I guess just to push back on it a little bit, mm-hmm. do you feel like, and maybe this isn't something that you experience, that there is kind of a dark side to the fact that you can be so lost in thought that you oh, can yeah. be. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. oh, yeah. But um, even so, you you still. I Yeah, I think. You think the, the good outweighs the like bad in that sense. The best people have like a really kind of like dark edge to them somehow. Like sure. they can I mean, be very think... like cheery open people, but then they've got like something kind of twisty in there. And, you know, it's a lot of my favorite people that are like celebrities and things like that they actually like had like that dark sense of humor and stuff and you know sometimes they didn't overcome it like people like anthony bourdain like Mm -hmm. i just i I love him to death and you know the fact that he had a dark side to him and a twisted sense of humor Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but he was clearly like now we know but not clearly before but he was clearly some kind of depressed or some kind of upset yeah absolutely um i think that that comes with it uh but i've been diagnosed with eating disorders and panic disorder and anxiety disorder and Mm -hmm. things like that. And, um, a lot of my, uh, well, it's not mine. I don't want it, but a lot of anxiety that I deal with, Mm -hmm. um, it's from being way too introspective and it's very much surrounding my health Mm -hmm. because that's what my education is on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would like learn about something new in class and I'd be like, Oh my God, (laughs) what if I have that? I'm dying. (laughs) Like This is crazy. And then thinking, really deeply about things and you know knowing that like bad things happen to good people and that's something that i'm just kind of aware of in the back of my brain Mm -hmm. um so it sometimes my thoughts do get kind of dark like Mm -hmm. if i'm like driving on the highway i'm like oh my gosh and like i think of all these scenarios that could happen and i have to force myself sometimes to think of very positive scenarios and i'm Mm -hmm. like no visualize yourself driving and getting home safely and mm-hmm. everything's going to be fine and you're a good driver and you're careful and focus mm-hmm. like focus on what you're doing yeah. you know and so i mean it gets it gets tricky but mm-hmm. i i, I kind of like my my brain you yeah. know if and the fact that i can i've already gotten so much better mm-hmm. from when i was at my worst you know what i mean so the fact that i still could very likely have 60 more years on this planet Mm -hmm. like that gives me a lot of time to like master it and to get really good at it and i think by the time i'm like 60 i could be like really chill yeah (laughs) yeah i'm honestly i'm i'm really glad that you said that because it is kind of a surprising answer to me Mm -hmm. and not necessarily in principle but i feel like it's something that isn't it's just a fascinating perspective because mm-hmm. I feel like it's something that isn't always well represented that as someone who broadly kind of believes in the the duality and balance of, of everything that mm-hmm. there's always, mm-hmm. you know, for however we choose to frame it, a negative and a positive and that all the good things in life do have, you know, it's the floor and ceiling kind of expand together and I feel like often people who struggle on any front have have a great deal of difficulty acknowledging that there are benefits or positives to all aspects of themselves or people have things about themselves that they don't necessarily like because they sometimes manifest themselves in a certain way. Yeah. But there isn't as much awareness about 
how that makes them unique and, and uniquely capable and what the, not even to say silver lining, but just the other side of the coin is. Right. And I think especially when it comes to psychological states and, and just overall well-being in that sense where it is, it's not even necessarily good or bad that you have this capacity, right? Mm -hmm. As we've been saying, and it's not something that, um, I just think it's very interesting to hear you say that that's something that you value so much and that you still would want to retain, even acknowledging that there is a dark side to it, yeah. that a lot of that is kind of your, your uniquity and your, your superpower, if you will, that, yeah. um, I just, I really enjoyed hearing you speak to that because it, I didn't, I didn't get there immediately and that's why I kind of pushed on it. Yeah. But I think, um, I, I'm not saying that I'm like brilliant or going to be this like incredible oh, person sure. or anything by any means. But if you look at brilliant, incredible people, they, mm -hmm. you know, they got some screws loose, you know, like look at Salvador Dali. He's like one of my favorite oh, artists yeah, of all was, time. And he, he was, was a, a kook and I loved it about mm -hmm. him. And that was great. And, you know, Picasso painted some of his most influential and beautiful pieces when mm -hmm. he was in his darkest places. Oh, like yeah. look at Kanye, if you want like a current example yeah, of it, like his, fair. his mental health, like, when Kanye is at his best health mentally, he's making some of my least favorite music <laughs> yeah. that he does, oh, you know, yeah. and it's Absolutely. like, I don't wish ill will on him. And I don't think that his music is the most important thing about him by any means. And I think if he got healthy, he could discover other things that he was good at. But like mental illness isn't. It's it's like you can't just label it bad like mm -hmm. it, it creates character and it creates a certain kind of beauty and uh, a connection between people. Like all of a sudden, if I can create something when I'm in a dark space, all of a sudden all these people can relate to it and they can feel hope. Mm -hmm. That's not a negative thing. It's a negative thing if I can't get out of that dark space, but right. I'm comfortable with the, I'm comfortable enough with my mental health that I, I would never want to end my life or anything like that. So mm. I'm lucky in that sense where um, I haven't been afflicted in that way, but, um, yeah, I think another thing too is, you know, if you ask somebody like what they're looking for in a partner mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, I want someone who's funny and smart and mm -hmm. charismatic. And everybody will say that everybody sure. wants somebody that's funny and so smart and charismatic, but great things. it's about the way that person processes things and the way mm -hmm. that their mind work works that makes them appealing to you mm -hmm. it's not the fact that they're funny like a yeah, lot of people, are, people funny. are funny yeah exactly but like your it's own personal sense of humor is based on your perspective on your life you mm -hmm. know so you i think the way the mind works and the way that the mind processes things is a much more important quality mm -hmm. to a human than things like empathy or humor or whatever you know because a lot of people are those things mm -hmm. but you can be empathetic but and you can be considerate mm -hmm. but if your brain is having you think about yourself first mm -hmm. there's limits to your empathy and your right. consideration you know and it's like so there's different little things and i i just really like the way that my 
mind sorts through things. And I would really love to carry that on because I feel like that's like the true essence of who a person is. So Mm -hmm. if there is a soul or a spirit or whatever you believe in, I think that that's like, if you're lucky, you get to carry that Mm -hmm. with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of beautiful. And I think it's a a good offering to, to anyone out there who maybe struggles with, with uh, accepting. Right. Who they are in that sense. Yeah. Um, And one thing I did want to mention, just because it kind of reminded me, I was going to speak to it earlier, but just this idea that so much of what people can do and how they can operate through life and avoid unnecessary suffering does kind of have to do with their ability to, and I don't like to use the word control, but for lack of a better one, control or maybe a better way of framing it is be aware of and Mm -hmm. not identify with. Mm-hmm. Uh, when these these things that do arise that maybe we'd frame as negative or, you know, that you, you brought up someone like Kanye mm-hmm. who, as you said, probably made his best music when he was kind of unhinged, when the, right. the limiters were off and maybe to some extent probably relished in that yeah. for a long time and maybe still does. And it's it's hard to not identify with that. It's hard to pull back from that and say that that is just an aspect of self, but it's not everything. Yeah. And to, it's also like people in those spaces aren't encouraged to develop the tools to be able to manage and I guess I'll say again, control right when they need to. Yeah. Like, and I was going to bring up the example of someone like Mike Tyson when you yes. were talking about martial arts and combat sports where he was someone who I guess for anyone who doesn't know much about him he was a monster at an incredibly young age was <laughs> yeah you know experienced things that I could never imagine right. but you know was drinking smoking even you know doing acid when he was 12 yeah just experienced so much psychological destabilization and adversity and then he had someone come into his life who became his trainer who helped him navigate that but also like i mean literally would like hypnotize him yeah turned him into that monster and taught him how to flip this switch that he essentially was an animal you know he wasn't even he could detach in the ring bit somebody's ear off like (laughs) he was unhinged like in my opinion and he was amazing. Yeah, made yeah. him the best boxer of all time. And that's probably pretty controversial. But I think in his state of dominance, I don't know if anyone could have beat him. But um, bless you. That Thank you. No one ever told him how to turn it off. No. No one ever showed him that this this was something that he could control or access when yeah. he needed or not access. Well, I don't know if they did it intentionally, but they definitely capitalized on mm-hmm what was making him unhealthy in order to create greatness. And Mm. once that greatness started being lucrative, that's when things get dangerous. Right. Right. Same thing that happens with like Kanye, like people Mm. are still going to like tell Kanye, like you don't need to take your meds. You make your best music when you're off your meds, just get off your meds, you Mm. know? And it's like, is that really like, is that what's best for Kanye? The best course of action? Because like, yeah, he made great music, but like I would never tell a person, you know what you should do? You should get real depressed again. So you can mm-hmm. like paint something that's really dope. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's happened. It's been happening for thousands of they years. They did it to Amy it's, Winehouse. Yeah, they kept her I all mean, drugged up and bulimic and on 
and on a bunch of alcohol and her manager, uh, who was her father and her boyfriend, like kept feeding it to her because it's mm-hmm. when she had like her voice was the raspiest and she would, right. um, she would cooperate with what they were doing and they mm-hmm. handled her finances and they handled her and they killed her. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's devastating and she's, I, I'd put her in my top five favorite artists yeah, of all she's time. Incredible. She's what she was able to produce was entirely unique and amazing but as you said it there almost always is that kind of backstory to these incredibly just innovative and you know unique creative forces that otherworldly talented people it's when the wrong people Mm -hmm. that is being fostered and as a consumer you you kind of just take it for what it is because you're like this is amazing but it's hard to remember the person behind it and what they yeah. might the exploitation be that's right. behind it yeah um it's really so I think hard kind of really is a, is a perfect example of that yeah. these days and i know he's an incredibly divisive figure and i think it's just really unfortunate the way that he's yeah. often portrayed not that some of it isn't deserved but that there is just such a, a media circus around him in his life that I, I I don't support a, a large portion of what he's done in right. his life. But once again, to me, if we're just talking about like in hip hop, top five for me, I've always been a huge fan of his music and his output just because of how, as I said, how innovative, how, how off the wall it was, how he pushed barriers, how he did things that no one else was doing, how he just expressed himself in a way that was totally unique in that space when he started doing it. Yeah. But it just seems to be someone that we're just always hearing about. Yeah. It's just this, it's controversy, it's turmoil, it's anything he does. People want to talk about it. People want to say, fuck Kanye. People want to support Kanye. People want to, you know, it's just a talking point and it's, it's fun to sensationalize it to some extent. But at the end of the day, he's just a person who I think in theory, we would like to suffer less in his life. Yeah. And sure, I'd love for him to put out another great album. I, I'd like for him to put out Graduation again. But is it worth him having to, you know, go back to, or, you know, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, one right. of the greatest. But yeah. is it worth him having to go back to that space? But that's the frustrating part, right? Is you have these people that are surrounding him that probably know he makes better music when he's a little off. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating because it's like, it's not that he can't make good music when he's in a good mental space. Right. Like think about like, um, like the church services that he started Mm -hmm. doing. Like he was in a great mental space when he started doing that. And just like he built an entire space and like, lit it just the way he wanted to to create a vibe and it created something really magical for people Mm -hmm. and like the sound and the acoustics and everything and it was like a really cool experience but like he hasn't been taught how to make brilliant music when he's well all he knows is like making brilliant Mm -hmm. music when he's unwell and Mm -hmm. i think that's the frustrating part because you can look at other artists that are incredible like uh kendrick or j cole who Mm. um on the surface at least seem like very solid people like they've been through some shit for sure but like they're pretty stable individuals they're Mm -hmm. not in the news all the time they're not getting arrested they're not like doing crazy shit and like Mm -hmm. they're creating beautiful music like insane music because they know 
how to do that. They have mm-hmm. a process with that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, who's taught Kanye how to get his shit together <laughs> and make greatness and harness it in a healthy way? You know, so I just think it's like when the wrong people get involved, that's when mm-hmm. that's when things get weird. Right. And it happens so often when there is this kind of power vacuum that's created yeah. and someone just explodes and becomes something kind of bigger than themselves. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, especially, I feel like it is this kind of common theme as well. Um, in these, you know, these particularly just totally unprecedentedly great and specific areas, people, and then tragedy strikes, right? Yeah. That something happens. You can even look at, we'll just take like Kanye and Tiger Woods or, even Michael Jordan, yeah, a parent dies, and yeah. you see a total shift in yeah. their output because they're kind of on Mount Olympus, and whatever they are dealing with, they're able to kind of push down because their output is great, and then something tragic happens in their personal life, and that scaffolding just kind of vanishes. Yeah, and not to just like continue to psychoanalyze mm-hmm. Kanye, but <laughs> I assume you know from what he's spoken to in his music his mom was an incredibly everything. It was yeah. everything to him and that was probably the only person who was maybe trying to extend a lifeline to him and Absolutely. be like here's how you could maybe manage this a little bit better yeah. he was the only person that was really looking out for him and his interests yeah. in a real way and then you lose that and it's like i mean what do you what do you expect yeah um not to just write off or excuse anything that anyone does when they have to deal with tragedy. But yeah, I feel like we're at least the only person that like was able to connect with him mm-hmm. and to get him to like come about it the right, right way. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to reach people sometimes you can try, but mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have, like you said, that lifeline, mm-hmm. then their whole world shatters and it's, it's hard to watch, mm-hmm. you know, it is. Yeah. It sucks. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things that my main frustration there, and I'll I'll leave it at this because it's something I can continue to rant about, <laughs> that I just feel like as a society we tend to relish in self-destructive people. Yeah. And we as I kind of spoke to, it's kind of fun to be like, oh, look at Kanye again doing something crazy. Um and Maybe if we just paid less attention to him, yeah, he would he, things would be better for him. Like if we just, as a society, were able to say, let's just try to let these people like work their personal shit out. And yeah, sure, if it's your job, we can still talk about their output or their art or whatever. But to just kind of take a step back from it a little bit and people to try to chaos. wish them well. Yeah, people love chaos. People go to hockey games to watch the fights. <laughs> people go to NASCAR and literally admit to just waiting for some kind of crash. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, go fast, turn left. That's cool. But like that that's when people get excited. That's when NASCAR's in the news, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Like these drivers are incredible and doing crazy things. And I might not want to watch it, but I respect what they're doing mm-hmm. and the difficulty behind it. But nobody's talking about it unless mm-hmm. somebody hits a wall. And it's it's kind of weird. And I think mm-hmm. it goes back to like um, like the Coliseum mm-hmm. and like gladiators oh, yeah. and things like that. I think it's just ingrained in our society to want to 
watch chaos unfold mm. that is not happening to us. Right. And I think it's just like a really weird thing. Like tabloids are a really bizarre thing to me. Like mm. I am, I, that's something I always want to like, if aliens come down, I wonder like what they'll think of like <laughs> gossip channels and tabloids right. and stuff like that. They'll be like, why do people care like yeah. about this one human? Like who cares if Beyonce posted more maternity photos? Like who cares? Right. Like, who, who cares what they named the fucking yeah, kid? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like it's... just be happy for them. You know that why does it have to be anything more than that? But people just love, they love their chaos and they love their Mm -hmm. their gossip yeah. and it's so weird to me it's bizarre i think it's a it's an interesting manifestation of the whole chaos order dichotomy if you will yeah. that i think generally it helps us feel like our lives are more orderly yeah. to see chaos as long as it's somewhat removed from us so yeah. like if we see like in a foreign country there's like a civil war going on we have a certain human capacity to like care mm -hmm. but it's very limited you know, yeah. it really is. And in a way, it almost feels good to see that other people are struggling. Yeah. Because it, Cause it especially you can if it feels like it's their fault. Yeah. If we can tell ourselves that it's their fault, that's kind of the key distinguisher where you're yes. like, they're fucking up and it's because they suck. Like, oh, they brought and it upon themselves. It's less than I do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where a lot of that stuff comes from, where that's it, a great point. it feels good to see someone else especially someone who's been put up on this outrageous pedestal by society yeah. to see them be so flawed and to see them struggle and to have someone to be like, well, at least I'm better than this person. I'm, I'm better than Britney Spears or something, you know, like yeah. at least I've got it more together than, you know, <laughs> James Franco or, you know, it's <laughs> because, you know, he's uh, an artist and he's talented, but he's, he doesn't have it all. Um, I'm really laughing because I used to do that in college. Like if we were at a party and I was mm. drunk, as long as somebody was there that was more drunk than me, I was like, I'm good. I'm great. <laughs> yeah, I'm cruising. I'm like, so good. <laughs> like this is a good time. Like, look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. Like <laughs> as I'm stumbling down the stairs, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. On a smaller it's, scale, I guess that's, it's, it's, it's a okay, helpful frame but, of yeah. reference to be Absolutely. like, I'm not, I'm not at the bottom. Right. <laughs> as long as I'm not like, at the bottom, close. I'm good. Not quite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a strange impulse, but it is we do have a certain desire to have very a human. sense of order in our lives. Yeah. And so when the chaos is on the outside, we're like, hey, this is kind of cool as long as I have my bubble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when chaos penetrates that bubble of order, which it always does because always life does. is chaotic, uh, that's when it gets it gets very complicated and right. everything gets kind of flipped on its head. Yeah. Um, but we just tend to, to struggle to, to navigate life for, for many, many reasons. Yeah. Um, but one thing I do want to ask in that vein is if you could institute anything for, let's just say like 18 year olds to have to do or complete before they graduate from high school as like a rite of passage that maybe could be a part of our educational system or even just like a, a general mandate. If there was anything, I'll maybe just throw some easy examples out there, like knowing how to do your taxes or uh, volunteering a certain number of hours, things in that vein. Uh, just something, and it really doesn't have to be similar to any of that, but something yeah. that you feel like should be mandatory or that everyone could benefit before before they move into that 
adult stage of life that seems to be like continually moving out for us where it's like right i i think that um mine's probably in the realm of like learning how to do your taxes um i was in the finance academy when i was in high school oh, okay so we had academy programs in our high schools and it allowed us to be able to get variances to different places like one high school has a culinary one and the other has one that's law and oh, i chose finance that's awesome um yeah and it was cool and um learned a lot of really useful things at the time but like mm -hmm. things like typing <laughs> like yeah. you know and uh how to use word and excel really well and yeah. um we learned about the stock market and we learned how to balance checkbook which is now irrelevant but you know yeah. um we had projects where yeah we had projects where we had to budget and purchase a vehicle we had projects where we had to plan a wedding where we had to buy a house oh, wow. um and go through those processes and i what think that that <laughs> yeah spruce creek high school in okay. daytona beach florida or Shout port out. orange florida yeah go hawks um, um, but it was an excellent program and we had to even like twice a month we had to dress professionally and we were mm. graded on our appearance and what we presented mm. to the world, which, you know, you can, uh, dissect that as you sure. want. It could be harmful or helpful, but it but, taught people how to dress for interviews and mm -hmm. how to communicate with people during interviews. And, um, Maybe not that program specifically, but just teaching kids financial literacy. Mm -hmm. uh, I work at a private school now and seeing the disparity of what kind of financial literacy these kids have that mm -hmm. come from wealthier families uh, between even just some middle class families that maybe don't talk about money because it's it's mm -hmm. gauche or whatever, you know, a taboo. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think it's important to teach kids that you can start a business it's not as glamorous as one might think like right. this is what you need like you can go to college it's not as glamorous as one might think you'll be in this amount of debt like mm -hmm. this is how student loans work this is how loan percentages work this is what it's like to have a credit card this is how you do your taxes mm -hmm. um this is how you can make passive income like this is where you should save and invest and I think it's really fundamentally wrong that something like taxes is so complicated for a person. Like mm. I didn't do my taxes until I was out of school and I still don't fully understand how to do my taxes. <laughs> it's it's super difficult and I just pay somebody to do it and it mm. drives me crazy that I do that, but I kind of have to, you know, and yeah, I, I mean, we, it pays for itself. If yeah. I mean, there are kids that still think like having a bank account, is like harmful in some way like it means like the government is in right. your pocket or um like i really admire what kevin hart is doing with chase uh he's okay. creating a lot of like final financial literacy movements for uh people in, in, in impoverished areas, you mm -hmm. know, and things like that. He was like, we should just like keep a bunch of cash. And we thought that that was safer. And, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't realize what it was doing to your credit and like, um, how, um, what is it called? Like, uh, paycheck advances and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. how detrimental that is for your, you right. know, financial security. And even if you're not making a lot of money, this is how you can save. And he's doing a lot of really good work with that. And I mm -hmm. find that really cool. Um, I think it should be a normal subject in school. Mm. Like if you're in school for four years, you should be taking some kind of financial class every year that you're in there. And I, w I wish that our society would do a better job of that because it's, if you have money, you get taught about money. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And if you don't have it, then you don't talk about it, you Mm -hmm. know, or you get told we can't afford that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not something that we do. Or you have to just work and save and save and save your whole life. And it just creates a weird cycle. Um, And seeing the kids that go to the school that I do where it's 24 grand a year to send your child. Yeah. um, Some of them know more about the stock market than I do. I'm sure. And I'm like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, they, you know, and it just like makes sense. But um, I feel like that should that playing field should be a little bit more even when it comes to education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 an incredibly important point because the disparity is so startlingly large mm-hmm. in that regard. And it does just exponentially grow, as you said, because if you just have those advantages to start with. Mm-hmm it's so valuable to be able to save when you're young or to to make any financially sound decisions at a young age. It makes such a difference over time if you just start from the right point. Yeah. And if you even, especially in regards to credit. So I, I was lucky enough to, you know, to go to one of those schools without going into the whole story in depth about how I got there and why I was there and kind of being an outsider there. I, I went to a school that was, uh, let's just say, a higher end institution Right. that we did have a class for this as seniors and we did a tax project and we had a whole you know section on credit cards and learning. You know, we watched a documentary on predatory credit card companies and how they take advantage of yeah. disabled people and, and all yes. kinds of things. And even just that. And granted, I think my. My mother did a great job of preparing me for that stuff anyways because she was incredibly frugal because we had to be. But it was so valuable to just have that foundation. And to me, I thought that that stuff was kind of common because it's just what I was around. And Oh, it's like learning how to drive. Like your family just teaches you about finances. Yeah. And then, you know. As I got older and talked to other people who had different educational backgrounds, mm-hmm. it's it shouldn't be a matter of just, you know, the district in which you grow up that decides whether or not you have a base capacity of, of financial literacy. You yeah. Know, like that's fucked. And of course, it's it's going to have effects down the line. And sure, yeah. you can learn at a later point in life, but it's just harder. It's just yeah, you've for- already taken on debt. You've already made a lot of mistakes you already don't have anything in savings yes. you know it's it's all of these things that not that it's too little too late but it makes your life easier to spend know a couple months yeah uh, out of uh, someone's entire you know four years in high school focusing on that it seems as though it should just be obvious right um i see it from the other end of the spectrum as well um working with athletes who go professional and you mm-hmm. take you know yeah Billy Joe from <laughs> Nebraska, some 330 pound lineman who's like destined for greatness and mm-hmm. he can hit like a truck and he's D1 and then he's pro and he's never had money before mm-hmm. and his family has never had money before. So he doesn't spend it wisely. He doesn't invest. Um, you get these like financial management companies that like go after athletes like that. Oh, yeah. And they manage their money and they, have them invest in some weird stuff or like their friends companies or like you know Mm -hmm. strange things like that so it's that's so important too because then like freaking billy who like 
broke his body playing for the NFL for yeah, eight years, a few years yeah, and- is now like financially strapped and coaching at a high school because he has to make ends meet, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, that's not fair, you know, or, you know, even like bigger scenarios, like these kids, um, like from impoverished areas that maybe like they go pro basketball mm-hmm. or they're a wide receiver something that gets more hype and they're mm-hmm. making more money and they're making right. millions of dollars and they're paying for everything for mm-hmm. their whole family for right. all of their friends they're bringing their people with them which is admirable and amazing but guess what you're broke and now your knee is fucked and the nfl doesn't want you anymore yeah, no, and it's like now you don't have anything mm-hmm. you're making millions of dollars for four years and now you don't have anything like that's that part is really rough to me because again that's that exploitation you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the wrong people are helping you you're getting exploited for your talents and then you're getting like left out to dry because mm-hmm. you were never taught how to handle your finances. Like, yeah. I don't think high school should be teaching kids how to handle millions of dollars, but they should definitely teach them like the what you can do and how you can invest money and how you can take care of yourself and your family without fully supporting everyone and everything, you know? So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's just lessons to be learned there. It's really hard. Right. Definitely. Well, yeah, we've, uh, we've been going here for a while and I think it's about time for us to, to wrap things up. Cause that we, sounds good. You got to get out of here, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been uh, a good conversation. Two twenty three. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it always goes by so fast, but yeah, I, I like to wrap up on, on a version of a question. I, I always try to ask okay. to leave the audience with something, but this version of it being if you could fill a fortune cookie <laughs> okay, I remember this question. <laughs> <laughs> every fortune cookie in the world right now uh, with your own message what would it say okay so um i would love for this to be something like greatly profound and mm. you know like um like one of my favorite quotes like no one can hurt you without your permission or mm-hmm. you know something great you know like gandhi said it you know whatever but my I can't lie. Mm -hmm. My first inclination was to make it something like really weird or Mm -hmm. inappropriate that would just confuse people. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. And it would like make me like, I would get great joy Mm -hmm. out of it. So I was like, I would probably definitely lean towards that. You know, I want to pretend like I'm like this like cool spiritual person that would want to help you. Right. But I, you know, like if you could put in some kind of, you know, how like when you shake a magic eight ball and Mm. it's like, try again later yeah like i would love to put that in like every fortune cookie (laughs) just like no not today like try again later like something just a little off kilter like that where people would be like what the fuck like (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean like in life yeah like what is that like so just something you know something a little weird a little confusing for people i think like try again later would be a good one or Mm. like you know Better luck next time. Yeah. For like error code, you know, like. <laughs> 404, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, cannot compute. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. That'd, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I would, I think more people than you're maybe giving yourself credit for <laughs> would get a lot out of it. Just try again later. Because I don't oh. think anybody's necessarily <laughs> going to a fortune cookie for like true Deep wisdom. insight per yeah. se. But 
I think unless you just like really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It's it's rare that you get like, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever looked at a fortune cookie and been like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> so I think, you know, a little bit of levity and just kind of not that there's um I think there is some wisdom in, you know, try again later. Try I think again. you have to have <laughs> you some can look for it. That's of, for sure. Of yeah. patience and acceptance in life that yeah. sometimes things just don't work out. And you know, so there's something there, but it's it can mostly mean so funny. many different things for so many yeah. different people. So or it's like, do I go back to yeah. this Chinese restaurant like, and like me. get another meal? <laughs> and it says it again. <laughs> it's a bit I said later. Like <laughs> it just says patience. Yeah. <laughs> It's not later yet. Uh, yeah. No, so, I mean, that's, that's, I think that was a, I think that would be, I think it would add to the overall happiness on this planet that's being experienced <laughs> okay. right now. And I think that's that, important. that is ultimately what, uh, what we're all trying to go for. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> Just add a little quirkiness into your, you know, Chinese food. Like exactly. not a big deal. Yeah. That's what we need. Um, <laughs> So I'll leave the audience with that. Try again later, folks. Try again later. And uh, just keep trying. Uh, we'll see you next time. Keep on cruising. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you, Jackie. <laughs>